the Empire Podcast this week, we're live at Empire Live at the O2! <laughs> Amazing stuff. There's nothing like a spontaneous burst of applause. And that was nothing like a spontaneous burst of applause. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, our biggest yet. Uh, we're here at the biggest screen at the biggest city world, at the biggest tent in London. I'm very, very excited about it. Uh, and that, of course, was the biggest bangly bang we've ever had, so thank you very much for that. That was amazing. Over the next two hours, you're going to get the usual smattering of thinly researched movie news, half-assed star interviews, and wafer-thin movie reviews, uh, plus a bunch of idiots laughing at their own jokes. Frankly, you can't ask for anything more. Uh, so who is us? Well, as ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our art house guru, a man who is a perfect choice to review this week's Magnificent Seven remake because he can name the original cast of the Magnificent Seven at the drop of a hat. Brinner, McQueen, Coburn, Kislowski, Herzog, Eisenstein, and of course, Brad Dexter. Please welcome Phil Desemlian! No, thank you, Phil. Thank you. Uh, last but not least is our geek queen, a lady who's perfectly suited to review this week's The Girl With All The Gifts, because she is the girl with all the gifts, if those gifts are a knitted dragon tea cosy, a limited edition Hamilton version of Cluedo, and of course, the coveted 2017 topless Dean in Sam Winchester calendar. Will you please welcome Helen O'Hara! Hello. There we go. Kept it going. All three of your tropes yes. in one glorious introduction. Well, glorious. Well, glorious. I, was, I thought it was glorious. <laughs> it wasn't too bad for someone who wrote it with three hours sleep, but there you go. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Latecomers. Yes, you up there. Yes, you got in. Thank you. Excellent. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, so, slightly different from the usual podcasts, we're going to start off with discussing the week's movie news. Then we're going to have a guest. Then we're going to do some reviews. Then we're going to have another guest. And then you guys are going to ask us questions. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Right, so where, where should we start? What's Hollywood been up to this week? Well, news, I guess. Um, shall yes. we start with the, with the bad news, essentially? I mean, you've just, you know, G'd up the audience. You've got everyone excited. Let's bring the mood Everyone's excited. You, you can see how excited they are. Oh, look at those little faces. <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, but no, we do have to start with bad news because, of course, this week uh, saw the very sad death of Curtis Hansen, the director of LA Confidential, um, The River Wild, In Her Shoes, um, Eight Mile, Wonder Boys, just great, great films. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. He was 71. He always seemed a lot younger to me, so that actually caught me by surprise slightly. So, um, so yeah, that was really just sad news. I think it, LA Confidential in particular, of course, is you know, a legend, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, very, very sad news indeed. Um, I think LA Confidential is my favourite Curtis Hansen movie, uh, probably everyone here is the same. Put your hand up if you think LA Confidential is a true unalloyed masterpiece. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And to take that, that book, thanks Phil, yeah. uh, to take that book, which is really dense and labyrinthine, and to turn it into what it is, which is a dense labyrinthine movie, but with a interesting plot, real sense of place and character, amazing performances. I mean, you, you, know, you look back at it now and you go, well, of course Guy Pearce, of course Russell Crowe, of course Kevin Spacey and Kim Basinger. Um, but at the time, it was a real 
real gamble it for a lot completely of completely gambling on unknowns essentially for the most part and and it, it paid off in spades it's one of those incredible casts that he'd brought together um, I heard somebody call out Wonder Boys there is one person mm. at least uh, for whom that's not their, be- their favourite Hanson film it's Wonder Boys and that's also an incredible cast um, Robert Downey Jr. before he became the world bestriding colossus that we now know and love um, Toby Maguire I think his probably his best performance mm-hmm. just in terms of acting uh, and and Michael Douglas as well on playing against type to a huge degree but it really worked what about bad influence what yep. about bad influence yep. oh, I don't That's know it doesn't live in that company but I thought I'd mention it anyway I mean it's <laughs> it's I guess LA Confidential that will be his kind of um, epitaph I suppose mm. and uh, we had James Elroy on the podcast I guess a couple of years ago and this is a man if you even mention Black Dahlia you're likely to get smacked in the face um, but he actually really genuinely appreciated the adaptation of his book which is um, interesting because it is such a radical departure from, from, from the book I saw the film first I don't know if people read the book it's entirely different, really. Uh, even the sort of antagonist is a whole different thing. Um, so, you know, as co-writer, he did a great job adapting it. And the casting process was also spotless. And then the direction and the pacing and obviously its big twist were equally kind of masterful. So it is kind of a masterpiece, I think, of a period. And it also felt like a film out of time, more of a 70s sort of feel to it in, in the 90s when they weren't making a lot of movies like that. Sort of Chinatown or something. Yeah, it was Chinatown-y, definitely. Um, yeah, much missed, I think. I'd also like to put in a mention for In Her Shoes, which I think is one of the best films ever made about siblings. I don't think there are that many, actually. Certainly about sisters, um, apart from Frozen. Uh, and I think it did a really good job. I remember we sent somebody to see it at the time who didn't like it because she went in expecting a rom-com because that's how it was marketed. But it wasn't a rom-com at all. It was, it was a story about sisterhood. And I thought, as such, it worked brilliantly. Absolutely. Very, very sad news about Curtis Hansen. And sad news as well this week about the great Terry Jones, uh, one of the members of Monty Python, of course, who has, this week it was uh, announced he's suffering from primary progressive aphasia. It's a, it's a form of dementia. And he's no longer able to really give interviews, uh, you know, and his ability to uh, speak is being diminished uh, with time, being eroded with time. Uh, really, really sad news indeed. Um, we, don't, we often do this on the podcast because we don't usually have an audience. But I think both gentlemen deserve a round of applause. Right. And a round of applause also helps us build a nice segue to the happier news that's going to hit us over the next few minutes. What's what's been happening? Like Hitler. Hitler. (laughs) Let's talk about Hitler. I mean, when you think of the worst dictator of the 20th century. I mean, that's debatable, but let's not right now. Okay. I knew you were in trouble. <laughs> you automatically think of Transformers, don't you? I mean, you th- that just seems like a fit. It seems like if you were going to make a Transformers movie, you'd want to find a way to get not only King Arthur, but also Hitler into it. So... So that's happening, uh, and, and this, controversially, happening? yeah. Well, controversially, Blenheim Palace has been turned into Hitler HQ, and of okay. course, Blenheim is the family home of Winston Churchill, uh-huh. and that's been a bit. I don't, I don't see a problem. Uh, well, you're the only person I think who does. Those two guys were really good friends, so <laughs> I think yeah. it's what what Churchill would have wanted. Yeah. He would he would have said, "Oh yes." 
in his in his what, what, trademark what manner. Said? What? Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> Is yeah. it possible you think Wrong Churchill's Churchill, a Chris. dog, Chris? It, it, uh, um, uh, anyway. next, next news story. So Hitler is going to be in Transformers. I mean, whatever I, is, that movie is going to be called. Yeah, the, the last, last night. night. The last night. Yes, yeah, there we I go. I believe so. There we go. I'm fully up to date with my Transformers news. Uh, with an actor playing him, or is it he playing himself, or or how how are they doing that? Is it documentary footage of Hitler? <laughs> I want more information than this, Helen, quite frankly, and I think you're not going to be able to provide it. I can't. I can't answer that, but I can tell you one thing. It's a Michael Bay film, so there's going to be a one-minute tracking shot of Ava Brown's ass. <laughs> uh, the Sun seemed to have the scoop on this one, which is kind of embarrassing for all film journalists out there, but it was on their front page, wasn't it, on um, yeah. Thursday? Just a picture of Blenheim Palace with all Nazi <laughs> sort of wow. paraphernalia attached, draped from the side. It does seem a bit from a distance. It seems slightly tasteless. But, yeah. mm, interesting. Um, so he's going back in time. Time yeah. travel, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Because King Arthur's in the movie as well, as well as the, the talking robots and, and whatnot. Uh, this could be batshit crazy enough to actually work. I mean, you know how much, if you listen to this podcast regularly, and if you don't, I'm sorry. so sorry for everything today. Yeah, um, apologies in advance. But... I mean, you know that I really love ridiculously stupid action movies. Like, I think there's a, there's a point where it passes from being merely dumb to being so stupid it's almost smart again. And that's kind of my sweet spot. Like, Fast and Furious 5, the crank movies, those kind of things. And so this might just edge over that, that borderline. That's what I'm hoping. I'm worried it's not going to stop, though, is it? It's going to come back around the other side and become <laughs> right. stupid again. Um, the circle of stupid. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. But it's interesting. You know, if you're getting outraged about Hitler being in a big budget blockbuster, he was, of course, used essentially as a gag in Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. In uh, my favorite scene in that movie, actually, where Indiana Jones, our hero, has a chance to kill Hitler close up and doesn't take it, resulting in the deaths of millions of people. Mm. So, well done, Indy. <laughs> I mean, you could argue... Yeah, how's that for reading of that movie? That was really bleak. You could argue that if he'd killed Hitler, somebody more competent might have taken over. Mm. So maybe he did the right thing to just get his autograph and get out. Yeah, Yeah. but he is the ultimate movie villain, and ultimate villain, of course, in real life as well. Uh, Yeah, so... Thanks for clarifying that, Chris. Hitler news. In other news... I just wanted to make sure, because, you know, some people have been fine recently to maybe usurp his crown. Um, Yeah, intriguing. Anyway... Move on. That's what's, what's next? What we got next? Um, well, we have news from the new Jumanji nov- uh, movie, which is a sequel to the also named Jumanji. Um, but this one has the rock in it, so it'll be better. And now we know character names. And I'm not kidding. This rivals Mad Max Fury Road for character names. We have Kevin Hart as Moose Finbar. <laughs> Karen Gillan as Ruby Roundhouse. Jack Black, letting the side down a little, as Professor Shelley Oberon. That's pretty good. It's all, but not by comparison. And then Dwayne Johnson is Dr. Smolder Bravestone. (laughs) (laughs) What's Kevin Hart called again? Moose Finbar. Come on. That's got to be an honorary doctorate for The Rock, hasn't it? I mean, I'm not casting aspersions on the guy. He's the size of a truck. Yeah, don't... crush my face, yeah. but... 
and I'm the just rest. saying, and the rest of me, yeah, flat as a pancake. But I'm just saying, honorary doctorate, that's all I'm saying. I, he could totally be a doctor. I'm pretty sure he is a doctor of SmackDown or something. <laughs> Any of you who know WWE better than me might be able to clarify, but I, f- I feel like he's, he's probably earned it. Mm. So, yeah. Any of the cast looking like potential candy asses at this point? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not this, not this lot. Not this lot, no. Not this lot. They wouldn't dream of it. He looks happy. He loves them. Kevin Hart. Yeah. I imagine he walks off set with him tucked under his arm like a little trophy. At the end of each day. Come on, Kevin. Let's go home. That could be quite fun. We, we, we like those names? Or are you excited about Jumanji? Let's have a show of hands. Who's excited about the new Jumanji? It's a, it's a mixed this reaction. six people. Yeah, The Rock has studded his family and friends in the audience with us today, which is, which is nice to see. What, what else is next? Yeah. Fruit Ninja. Ooh. Fruit, Fruit Ninja. Ninja. I, Fruit Ninja. I don't understand this. So you're going to have to explain Fruit Ninja. Uh, Fruit Ninja, uh, if you haven't downloaded it. It's been downloaded by one billion people and I think it's ended as many relationships and it's coming, it's been picked up for a film adaptation. I have absolutely no idea how they're going to make this film. Um, it's an app, right? On iPhone and iPad. It's a, it's a game, yeah. It's, it's a game, right? It's, it's so game. You, you, the fruit comes up and you swipe it with a sword. Yeah. Which is good sort of training for Tinder, I guess. And then <laughs> bombs come and they, you can't swipe the bomb. It's pretty simple. I don't know how they're going to stretch that premise over an hour and 30 minutes, I'll be yeah. honest. I was amazingly good at it because it involves moving your right hand fast. But, um, Chris. I just let it. What? Because I'm a writer, Helen. Oh, yeah. With a pen. I mean, yeah, I write with a pen. <laughs> Leaves the left hand free for... Chris! What? Stop it. Anyway, so I, I, I deleted Fruit Ninja from my phone. I delete so many things from my phone, mainly for... Security reasons. Legal but, reasons. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited about a Fruit Ninja film because it's one of those things you're going, how the hell can they possibly do a Fruit Ninja movie? Are the ninjas the good guys or the bad guys? It's undetermined. No, it's determined. There is a kind of a synopsis. It involves, I think they brought it from another movie, but it involves a group of Fruit Ninjas saving the world from an unnamed threat. Fruit, presumably. Fruit is the threat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is I this because so. people aren't eating their five a day, and so fruit has threatened? I think what's happened is the man from Del Monte has had an unusually auspicious <laughs> harvest, <laughs> and he's got a bit ahead of himself. He's he's decided to take over the world, and only fruit ninjas can stop him. What's the fruit that you would most like to kill? <laughs> Kiwis. That sounds Whoa. almost racist. Hang on a second. Uh, yeah. Kiwis are weird. Mangoes. I don't like mangoes. Oh, who doesn't like yeah. a mango? No, I'd have a go. I'd have a go at a mango. I don't know. We thought this thing wouldn't happen. You know that you remember when they went through that phase of making board games into movies, and yeah. they, they got as far as Battleship, and they just everyone else gave up. Now they're doing apps, and obviously we've had Angry Birds. Uh, I think this would be this. I might be completely wrong about this, but this is the second big app that they're making into a movie. What Angry game. Birds? Yeah, Angry Birds. Angry Birds, and then yeah. so we're moving towards Doodle Jump, which. Oh brings my, my brother into play in quite a big way. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, know. Doodle Jump destroyed me. Again, uh, an app I had to delete from my phone because it was just, it was too much. It was too much, Phil. Why not Candy Crush? I deleted that as well, but I completed Candy Crush. Ha, 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 ha. No, I meant why did they make Candy yeah. Crush into a no, movie? Not no, but I, I got ahead of it. No, I need to tell you about my Candy Crush experience because I got ahead of it. Oh, really? And I knew they were going to load more levels up and I completed it and then I deleted it from my phone with a sense of enormous well-being. Park life. So that was, so that was great. So I'm excited about a Fruit Ninja movie. I am baffled by everything that's just happened. I don't understand it. 
That's normal practice yeah, for a podcast. Uh, any other pieces of movie news? There is a, a little piece of TV news I'd like to touch on, and that is about Class. And Class is an upcoming BBC Three show. Um, it's created and show run by Patrick Ness, who's a great, great writer. Some of you may know uh, the Chaos Walking trilogy. You might know A Monster Calls. Um, great, incredible writer. He's running that. But it's also a Doctor Who spin-off. And the idea is it's about the school... I've forgotten the name of it. It's something like Mill Hill? Coal Hill Academy, yes. And it's where Clara taught, for example. It's where the Doctor's granddaughter went in the very first season ever of Doctor Who 50 years ago. Um, but the theory is, if Doctor Who keeps coming... Oh, sorry, if the Doctor keeps coming to this school, what does that do to the fabric of space-time around it? And basically, it becomes a sort of sci-fi hellmouth. So it's a little bit buffy is the idea. The, the exciting news this week is that Peter Capaldi is due to appear in the first episode. So he will be kind of kicking off the show and kind of establishing that link to the Doctor's universe. So that's quite exciting. I'm quite excited to see that. BBC Three? BBC Three. I think it's October 6th, but I may have the date slightly wrong, so do check with them. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The Emmys happened. They did, yeah. Is that a good thing? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing that it happened. Yeah, it's inevitable. Any, we can't stop it. Game of Thrones was the big winner, and also it's now apparently the most awarded fictional show in history. Which, don't get me wrong, I like it a lot, but that seems that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Am I alone? Are we happy with that? Do we like you know Game of Thrones winning everything? Yeah, yeah. more than the West Wing, more than. You know, everything? More than really? Celebrity MasterChef? Uh, that's not fictional, though, is it? It's not fictional. Yeah, that's, that's a good fine. Point. That is a good point. Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> Damn it. Um, there's, some, there's some other news as well. So, um, two horror films have been pushed back. Ooh. So, the Rings, which is a sort of reboot, remake of The Ring and The Ring 2, and obviously, the, you know, Ringu, um, that's been pushed back. To, that was meant to come out in a couple of months' time. Yeah. They pushed it back to February, uh, presumably because it's too scary. I'm guessing. And uh, poor old Jason Voorhees. He's in development hell. Oh, poor guy. Hang on. That's okay, isn't it? If he's in hell. He means well. Does he? He does. Uh, So there's a Friday the 13th reboot that has been in development for a very long, long time. And Breck Eisner, who is not only in possession of the best name in Hollywood, um, and is the son of Michael Eisner. Weirdly enough. There you go. Uh, Breck Eisner. So someone at some point said, should we name our son Breck? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's also good because on the set you can just say, are you ready, Breck? And then he'll go, yes. And then you laugh because you've made a serial reference. And that's good. Um, so yeah, he's going to direct the, uh, the, the reboot of Friday the 13th, which is going to focus somehow on Jason Voorhees, uh, which you know, fans of the original series will know that Friday the 13th, 1980 version, starts off with Pamela Furahee's his mum, so I'm intrigued to see how that's going to work. But I have heard good things. I hear that the script genuinely is good. I've heard okay. that. I've heard that. Did yeah. you hear it from... The screenwriter? I, I didn't, and I didn't hear from Jason Furahee's either. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah start guessing. So, so that's been pushed back. That's going to be now coming out next October. Can you guess the release date? Friday the 13th. Hooray. Honestly, there we go. Is that, that why? That is brilliant. Is that why they delete it? 
Well, it's going to come out on January 13th, so they have to keep pushing it back, I guess, until there's a Friday the 13th. Sure. So we may not see it until 2024, 2025, <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's all very exciting. Yeah. Any other pieces of movie news? That's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah. Me too. Well, that's brilliant. Oh, wait. No, there is one important thing we should talk about. Ooh, as is traditional at this time of the month. Oh. Empire. The new oh. issue of Empire comes out. Wait a out. second. This Thursday, Doctor Strange is on the cover, throwing shapes, and, uh, <laughs> that's, his, and that's, ex- that's his super <laughs> superhuman power. That's yeah. what he does. He throws shapes. Uh, <laughs> that would be a great superpower. Yes. Well, tell me, you wouldn't want that. I would. I would want that. You've seen me dance. Uh, it doesn't work. So, Les Benedict Cumberbatch. Everyone. Everyone loves him. Uh, what else is in the issue? Uh, we've got a look at Luke Cage, the new Netflix show, which some of you may be seeing more of today. Um, a tribute to the late, great Gene Wilder, of course. Um, we've got a, your piece, Chris, on Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, because you went back to... Never Go Back. A Reacher movie. Jack Reacher. Uh, yep, yep. I spoke to... What's his name? Oh, that guy. Um, oh, Ed Swick. And um, I spoke to um, that great act. Oh, uh, Kobe Smulders and um, Thomas else? Cruz Maypother the Fourth. Um, he was like, "Call me Tom." Aww. Call me Tom. It's fine. You've got a connection. I went, you? no, no. Um, yeah, so I spoke to Tom Cruise and Ed Swick, and we got an in-depth story on Jack Reacher Never Go Back, which is, of course, the second Jack Reacher movie, but based on the 18th Jack Reacher novel, uh, which is a follow-up to the first Jack Reacher movie, which, of course, was based on the ninth Jack Reacher novel. I am available for a Jack Reacher Q&A or any lectures. I have a PowerPoint if you'd like to see it later on. Uh, if you just have any Jack Reacher questions, then do come and see me afterwards. Yes, he literally does have a PowerPoint. It takes four hours to see in full. Yeah. And it's not the Harrison Ford PowerPoint. It's an actual PowerPoint. That's going to work brilliantly in audio. That's it is. Okay. But we're also, we're also streaming live to Facebook. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hey, sorry about the Hitler stuff. Um, and yeah, so they got it. Yeah. Um, also in this issue, we've got uh, Anna Kendrick. I spoke to her for her new movie, Trolls. She's as funny as you'd expect. Funnier than you would expect, uh, maybe if you're me, is the piece on Supersonic, which is the Oasis documentary. Now, I gave up on Oasis a long, long time ago and didn't care. The documentary and the interview that we have with Liam Gallagher pretty much made me care again. They're really, really funny um, and actually worth a look, even if you're not a fan. Uh, Weirdest thing in the issue, our beloved editor, Terry, did a piece on Vegas in Space, which is a very cult movie, and the story of the making of it is fascinating, so you should definitely read about that. And then, Chris, again, you did a piece on the French Connection, with a little bit of help, didn't you? Yes, Helen, I did. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I, we have a, it's a fantastic piece in the new issue, don't worry, the... the, the the major basic Seamus plug is about to finish. But uh, uh, yes, a couple of weeks ago, I flew to New York, which is a city in America. And uh, there I hooked up, but not in a sexual sense, with uh, Christopher McQuarrie, the director of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and the writer, of course, of The Usual Suspects and one of the best screenwriters working today. Uh, he is a big fan of The French Connection, uh, which is celebrates this year is 45th 
I nearly said wedding anniversary, <laughs> but no, it's not. Uh, it's because it's my wedding anniversary today. Uh, Happy so. anniversary! Oh, there you go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that unsolicited round of applause. <laughs> really, really lovely. Uh, so it's 45 years old this year. French Connection. Um, uh, Macquarie uh, dropped us a line a few months ago saying, "Hey, I'd like to do something uh, with Billy Friedkin, William Friedkin, the director." And so we made it happen. So in New York, there's no, we, we sat down at. Uh, I'm not making this up. Chaz Palminteri's Italian restaurant. Literally an Italian restaurant owned by Chaz Palminteri. He wasn't there, sadly. He is presumably working on the Bronx Tale musical, which is coming out on Broadway in November. I shit you not. A Bronx Tale musical, and I really want to see that. More than your beloved Hamilton, Helen. Not possible. Uh, no, no, no. Bronx Tale musical, because how the hell is that going to work? It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so we went to Chaz Palminteri's uh, Ristorante Italiano. Uh, I apologize for the, the terrible Italian. Uh, and sat down with Chris McQuarrie, Billy Friedkin, and Sonny Grasso, who is the last surviving cop from the film. He's the, the real cop on whom Roy Scheider's character, Russo, is based. And we talked for four hours about the film. And some of it is in the magazine. <laughs> and there may be more of it on the website at some point. But yeah, absolutely amazing time. Loved it. I wrote uh, a masterpiece. I've always, um, I mean, you always do, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Helen. Yeah. On 2001 Space Odyssey, which was great work because I still haven't seen it. Um. <laughs> He's lying. Please don't <laughs> write letters complaining. No, that's true. Um, we've opened, I think, the news story. Does it not yeah, open with... we should maybe talk about the opening of the news section. Now, this went to press before Tuesday. I'd like to make that clear, because it's a picture of Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, and it's called The Power of Love. Hey, easy. Easy now. <laughs> the lawyers have been in touch. <laughs> Look, and we've it's, hidden. it's talking about the film. We have not turned into heat. I'd just like to make that clear, and I'm so sorry for any... Uh, implication otherwise uh, yeah so that's leading off the news section we've got um, a little bit more about Rogue One in there we've got a little bit about Hacksaw Ridge which of course some of you are well ahead of us on Alice Lowe's Prevenge Alice Lowe's Prevenge I'm very excited about that one Prevenge Prevenge right awesome all sorts of great stuff £4.50 all good and evil news agents on sale next Thursday Where's it out now? This very moment. Is this it very moment. This very Outside. moment. Available if you're here and if you're not here, then next Thursday. Uh, right, should we have a guest? Yay! Let's have a guest. Uh, first up on the live podcast is a man who is having a hell of a year. Uh, in fact, he's one of our heroes of the year for his incredible scene-stealing turn as a pea-loving lord in Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship, to which he then added another scene-stealing turn in Ricky Gervais's David Brent, Life on the Road. And he'll next be seen stealing steens, no doubt, in Christopher Guest's Mascots, which is debuting on Netflix in a couple of weeks' time. So if you have scenes on your person, make sure they're secured, because this guy will nick them. He'll nick them out of your hands. Uh, give it up, please, for the wonderful Tom Bennett! Sounds impressive when you say it like that, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you... Do you uh, oh, well, I forgot to give you something, Tom. What? I've got a can of peas for you. Oh, tiny green balls. I know you love your tiny green balls. <laughs> I love my tiny green balls. Slide Thank it you along. Much. You can do whatever you will with those. I will. 
Do you like to cook peas? I do like to cook peas. Yeah. Uh, very simply, and then a knob of butter. <laughs> it, I, you know, I don't like to muck around with peas. I think, you know, they do what they say on the tin. Uh-huh. Why yeah. change it? Why, why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Do you have anything else with your peas? Or do you literally just sit there eating peas and butter? Sometimes. <laughs> it depends whether my wife's home or not. I'm not a great cook, so if, if it's just me, I'll just have peas. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Must, I was expecting something a little bigger. Yeah, I know. So sorry. Uh, how I pathetic. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so sorry. We can only get these several hundred people in the room at yeah. one time. Uh, wow. Our schedules aligned, but you know, thank you very much for for coming on the, on the pod. Um, coming up next, usually we start at the beginning, but we're going to start at the end. You've got okay. Christopher Guest's mascots. I know, right? Coming up, that's exciting. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, I know Christopher Guest. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> like ultimately, that's the punchline. I know Christopher Guest. It's amazing. I can't <laughs> believe it. And Jamie Lee Curtis has cooked me brunch. Wow. Uh, okay, what does she make? Twice. For Twice, yeah, she's a big pea lover. <laughs> um, she, she's a good cook. Really? She, uh, a gigantic spread. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't. Steady. That, Come on, that's people. your minds, not mine. <laughs> so, I mean, do you do you have to hold yourself back in that case from just asking about all the stories behind Spinal Tap and all the rest, like, or do you just go full? No, I, yeah, I, I feel that responsibility when I'm stood next to Christopher Guest, not just wanting to fanboy hard at him. Um, so I try and I try and retain a sense of dignity and concentrate on the job at hand, which is usually making making shit up. She's <laughs> really good. It's a brave man letting me do it. Tell us who you're playing. I play, um, well, I play a mascot called Sid, Sid the Hedgehog, who is a third generation uh, football mascot or, or soccer ball, as it's known in America. Um, and I get float. My father uh, sends me out to America to compete in the eighth annual World Mascot Association Championships. Right, yeah. Is, is it a very competitive world? You'd think, yes, it is. Yes. You'd think it was, and it is. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of very strange people trying to be the best at something that's slightly niche. Mm. So it's, it's got guests written all over it, really. <laughs> so how did you get involved? Uh, well, it, it's, I'm going to say it's a long story. I won't take ages saying it, but um, Christopher Guest did a series called Family Tree a while ago, and he came over... Uh, to cast for that and he asked Ricky Gervais if he knew any good you know improvers and Ricky put me in touch with Chris I did Family Tree and then uh, a year later he said I'm writing a film <laughs> and, and I've written a part for you in it the character's from South Croydon <laughs> I'm from South was that a year for South Croydon and I'm from South Croydon so I didn't even have to do an accent or anything <laughs> That's amazing. Did you have to immerse yourself fully in the world of mascots? I had to immerse myself fully in the costume. Okay. In 37-degree L.A. heat. Oh, God, really? And my, my costume is meant to be the best part of 40 years old, so it doesn't have any of the newfangled fans or coolant systems. It's, it's just a sweaty, smelly, old costume. 
<laughs> and then I put a scarf on. If it wasn't hot enough already, my character then has a scarf. Is it one of those ones where you have to schedule your pee breaks? No pun intended. Like <laughs> yeah, six yeah. hours. Oh, it's six it, hours in advance. I'll, it's a good thirty-seven minute. Really? Uh, yeah, in and out. Shake it all about. So, how does Chris Guest work? Because you say he he calls you up and he says, "I've written a part for you." I always get in my head that he's almost entirely improvisational. Is that not the case? Yes. Or? So. He's entirely improvisational when you get to the day. When it's you, I, made, I made the mistake on the first day of Family Tree going up to Chris before the first take and saying, Chris, I, I just had a... I, I was thinking maybe I'd do this thing about the... And he just stopped me and went, I don't want to know. So once, when the cameras rolls, that's it. But what you've had before then is a very detailed kind of two-page biog of your character, so you know where you were born, you know how old you are, you know what school you went to. It's quite detailed. So as long as you've mastered your two-page biog, uh, he just, he lets you do what you're going to do. Did you have a bit of a gap between Love and Friendship and Mascots, or was it...? Yes, no, there was. Um, Love and Friendship, I filmed kind of the early part of last year. Right. So there, there, was a, there's all, there was almost, there was a kind of six or seven, eight month gap between the two. Yeah, Love and Friendship was a long time ago. I was just wondering because we, we interviewed Kate Beckinsale a bit earlier in the year and she oh, told us about her, um, her, I'm a bit obsessed with this, her horse's costume that she takes yes. with her everywhere. Yeah. And I wonder if there's any plans for you, to, Sid, and, and the horse to get together. <laughs> yeah. Form a double. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Kate and the rear end of the horse and then Sid the hedgehog Mounted on top, Sonic. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, <laughs> she's great. She's she's bonkers. Did she bring the Did she bring the horse costume? I didn't set? see the horse you costume. Okay. I I suspect she bought it. Yeah. Um. But you know, did it in the privacy of her own <laughs> hotel suite. Right. She said the, the origins of that. I think were that she said she grew up in sort of Chiswick, and when she was a kid, she'd see this thing in this in this toy stroke magic shop that she really wanted and when she got her first acting job she went out and rewarded herself by buying this thing and now she takes it everywhere with her that sounds Which about right surface, it sounds a bit mad but it's actually no, kind that's, of lovely that's kind of her have She's... you had anything anything like that when you sort of got your first break did you oh, treat did yourself <laughs> last time when I when I did a pilot in America I went out and rewarded myself with those little pop figurines <laughs> like I'm such a nerd. Like I'm so excited to be. Well, Chris, no, I'm so excited to be here. I've picked up my coffee of Empire. I've had the pictures taken in the. I'm such a oh, nerd. Words. And so yeah, I rewarded myself with those little pop figurines. Yeah, awesome. Which ones have you got? Oh, oh I've, I think I've got about fifteen or sixteen now. We've got some at work. We should send them to. We do. Yeah, yeah. We've got do thousands now. Literally yeah. thousands. If you I love them. Have I a, think they're great. Yeah, so my, my big American splurge was like $48 on some pop figurines. <laughs> <laughs> I live a very, very, very wild lifestyle, as Tiny Temper once said. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we chatted yesterday. We spoke because you, you came along to the double bill last night of, uh, of yeah. Imperium and Swiss Army Man. And you complimented me, thank you very much, on my geek T-shirt. Yes. Uh, and you said you got a lot of geek T-shirts. I have a lot of geek T-shirts at home as well. I, I think you can get away with it. That's kind of your look. But I thought I should... I it's should, been cultivated over a yeah, great very period of years. Yeah. I, I thought I should at least dress up for the sake of my mother and father and at least look <laughs> partly presentable. There's nothing okay. I can do about this. This yeah. is for a job, but at least I've got a shirt on. It's a good beard. I like the beard. It's all right, isn't yeah, it? Beard is it's good. a good beard. Which job is this? Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, the next job uh, I've got is playing an unemployed actor. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I don't know. If, How did you prepare? If, is that worrying? I don't know. Is it catch twenty two? You play a, no? Yeah, it's yeah. This is this is my walking around preparing to play an unemployed actor, having been an unemployed actor on and off for twelve years. You know, it's <laughs> life imitating art, imitating life. Well, at least you've got your research done then. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, it's and and the unemployed actor also is kind of best known for commercials and I've done 15 or 16 UK commercials so it's again it was almost like it was written for me which commercials would people know you best from do you think oh years and years ago I did a drink driving campaign where we're in a pub this is not this is not a happy story we're in a pub and 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 I'm having a pint with my mates and a girl walks in and my mate brings over a second pint and he says, hey, she's looking at you. And I go, no, she's not. Give her the look. And I take the sip of the second pint and she crashes into the table and bounces across the pub and breaks her mm-hmm. neck. It's a jolly piece. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look it up uh, if you want to feel depressed and sad. That's a powerful look. It was a powerful look, yeah. So that, that, was, that was sort of one of my big ones, wow. yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, the unemployed actor gig is there a bit of the Ricky Gervais extras kind of to that yes it, it's actually it's for Krakenori which right. is um, I don't know what series they're on now three or four maybe but I did one last year where I got to kill zombies right. which is brilliant it's pretty good big yeah. tick and now I get to do one as an unemployed actor Mm, smaller, <laughs> still a, no, not a tick at all because I've been an unemployed actor. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned your mum and dad there, and uh, I, I have to mention this because this, this is amazing. Uh, Tom's dad is Mr. Bennett from the Tony Hart shows. Oh, no, come on, oh, don't really, yeah, seriously. Do, I, you, does anyone even remember who my dad is? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, we no, know Mr. Bennett, the caretaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, com- comedy idiot who fell over in the back of shop behind <laughs> Tony Hart, which is essentially what I do now, yeah. just without Tony Hart. God rest his soul. Um, I don't fall over. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I now I've picked up my father's mantle of making a living tripping over in the back of shop <laughs> and being a comedy prick, which is great. I can do other stuff too, but I'm pretty good at that. If there are any casting agents in the house, you can do other... If there are any casting agents here, I can do crying and shouting and swearing and serious stuff. And I don't have to trip over in everything I do. It's just I like to. I like to put tripping over in everything I do. How did you fall into the whole tripping over and... Looking like a comedy... This is an interesting... When when my dad was doing uh, Mr. Bennett, think about that. He's called Mr. Bennett, and he's playing a character called... They really pushed the boat out in naming the character. But they used to shoot scenes, and, you know, they, for, e, for ease's sake, uh, my dad would shoot some of them at home. And so as a, as a toddler, I would be included in, in the sketches. And so I, I'd be pushed along in a pram, and Mr. Bennett would talk to my mum with a bag of sand. But there was a hole in the bottom of the bag of the sand, and the, the sand is spilling onto this toddler's head. <laughs> Because you couldn't do that with anyone else. He's only allowed to do that with his own child. Or, or, or oh look, comedy toddler up a ladder. No, that's that's not that's not funny. It is funny, but it's not safe. Um, So he could only get you. So I was I was used as a kind of comedy stunt baby. Wow, from a very early age. Wow, how did you get the girl? <laughs> no, no, I don't know. He got the role. So you never uh, got old enough to submit any of your own artworks to the gallery. I had, I had a piece of art submitted to the gallery, and it got on. I'm so pleased. What was it of? 
it was it was a kind of decoupage piece. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> big, big words you wouldn't expect big words from me of of a, of a cricketer. Which is odd because I don't I don't like cricket at all. <laughs> Obviously, my dad helped me with it and went, "Oh, this 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 will get in." <laughs> Nepotism, alive bit, and well, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I always remember that with that bit had the the music to the Deer Hunter over it, didn't it? It was oh yes. the John Williams guitar, the, yeah. the John Williams guitar music from the Deer Hunter, which yeah, lent yeah, a sort of yeah. a so, so, sobriety and somberness to this. Yeah, it's an interesting. That was, it was an interesting yeah. energy to it. Yeah. <laughs> They took off the, uh, the, the, the soundtrack of the Deer Hunter. They just went for the guitar, not people swearing and, and no, shooting at each other. Yeah, the audio no, track. Not the Russian roulette. Russian roulette. <laughs> <been>. Gunshots. <laughs> yeah, and that would have been a different tone to the Tony Hart gallery sequence, I think. Um, so, Tom, obviously this year, Love and Friendship, one of our favourite films. Uh, yes. Absolutely amazing. Oh, who's who's seen Love and Friendship here? There we go. Fantastic. More of you need to see Love and Friendship. Seriously. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's Tom, out on Monday. It on is DVD well, and Blu-ray. There you go. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Holy cow! Yeah. Uh, so it's fantastic, and you play. Uh, how, how do we describe your character? An idiot, uh, but a, a well-meaning, lovable, idiot. lovable idiot. Lovable idiot. I, I have. I do a good line in lovable idiot. It, yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. A, he's. Yes. He's. He's a pea brain, a nincompoop, a rattle, <laughs> a blockhead. He's a. Yeah. He's. He's an idiot. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's slow, <laughs> to put it nicely. I mean, when you first went for a role in a Jane Austen film, did you have visions of yourself as a sort of Mr. Darcy? You know, walking out of the lake, the whole country goes nuts. No, no. very, no. Uh, I, if, if I'd have put 20 quid on being in a Jane Austen film at drama school, I would never have to work again. <laughs> the, the, odds, the odds were so far against that happening. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, it, was, I, it was another audition for me. And I, I go in and I learn the words. And then I walk away as if it never happened. Because, you know, by and large, if you're a kind of working job in actor, nine times out of ten, even if you're lucky, nine times out of ten you don't get the job. So it's safer to just forget it ever happened. And, and then if they come back, that's nice. And... So I did the audition, I walked away, and a year later, my agent phoned up and said, oh, you're still in the mix for Love and Friendship. I said, I'm still in the... Surely they've shot that, and it's out on DVD and Blu-ray on Monday, and, and, and they've, all got, they've all got on with their lives without me. And no, no, it's still, they were scheduling it. And then I said, all right, well... I th- OK, I'll try and forget about it again until, until the uh, ink's dry. And then it was another six months until... I got told I was doing it. And then once that happens, it's like, oh, now I'm in Dublin the next day and I'm shooting with Kate Beckinsale. And, it, yeah, I've got the, got the gear on. Yeah. How was the gear? Was it massively uncomfortable? I quite like it. Well, I, I came to set with my own sideburns. So that saved a good two hours in the makeup chair. But I, I, there is something about wearing that. It's the same with Kate and the, slightly more with the girls and the corsets. It does... Makes you stand properly. It do, it does give you the correct posture, which you know, as an actor, helps you. Well, be a, a lovable idiot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you play uh, Sir James Martin, who bears no no relation at all to the former host of Saturday Kitchen. To the celebrity chef yeah. James Martin. Yeah. No, I don't believe so. Okay, good. He's not like his great 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 grandfather. Yeah. That would be a massive insult on 
James Martin <laughs> if he was related to Sir James. I should say I might explain the love of peas. Yes. You never know. Yeah. You never know. But the, your performance in, in the movie is so good, and not to brown nose you relentlessly while you're here, but um, the, it has been linked with the O word, not orgasm, but Oscar. Ah, uh, is it? It has. It has. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe it I has. I saw, but... I, no, I, I wrote, uh, scribbling in my own... Oh, you scribbled off uh, no, next no. to my... Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, yes, no, no if it's... Well, it, then, <laughs> it's, then it's in me. black and white, and it yeah, exists, that's true. and it's true. No, yes. I've, I've, seen, I've seen... I'm due an Oscar this year. Yeah, I've seen ones to watch, ones to watch, Oscar no, Dark Horse. No, it was, I, it, was, it was lovely when it came out. I was on a lot of lists of... Mm. It was. It kind of previewed at Sundance... And so there was a kind, there was a Rolling Stones article and a, a Variety article, which is kind of fourteen or fifteen breakout stars or ones to watch this year. I think on the, I think maybe the Rolling Stone one or the Variety one, it was like you know breakout stars of Sundance 2016, and I was a good fifteen years older than anyone else on that <laughs> list. <laughs> it was like longest, longest serving breakout star this year. But yeah, oh, it's I mean it's ridiculously flattering to be on yeah. those lists you know whether it means anything or not I, I they're due a disappointment that's all i can <laughs> i just, just have I'm, to manage their disappointment i'm, just saying, I'm not saying that you're shoe in but i'm just saying that you maybe want to keep a space in the mantelist mantelpiece you have pop figure pop figure pop figure yes. pop figure oscar oscar pop, pop figure, figure pop figure pop, pop, figure, pop figure, figure and so on like, there's probably know. a pop figure oscar that it if i don't is. get the oscar i can Get slot in. Yeah. You can win that. And cry myself to sleep. Because <laughs> Chris Hewitt promised me an Oscar and I never fucking You got. all heard him. He did. Luckily, you luckily we it. can cut this bit yeah, out. So it's all good. It's no, all I good. Think that, and I think there was a list that someone made where I was 36th yeah. in line for a best supporting Oscar. So 35 so just, people have yeah, to die. I've got a hope. 35 actors fall down a set of stairs. And then, and I'm the only one left. And you have an alibi 35 times. Yes. Oh God, yeah. I I wasn't there. Yeah. I'd like to dedicate this Oscar to the 35 people who S- perished, sadly lost, <laughs> in the one bus journey <laughs> that I didn't organise. Because that's how people get to the Oscars. They they cram all the actors onto a bus, and they drive them to the Kodak Theatre. And then if they die on the way, they give it to the person who was 36th on the list. I think that's how it works. The pers- no, 36 drives the coach and then jumps out at the last minute like speed. That's my- well, I wish you all the best in your, <laughs> you. in your quest to bump Let's off keep everyone. Our fingers crossed, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> It'd be awesome. So uh, just to just to remind people, so Mascot is out on Netflix October seventeenth, thirteenth, I think. Thirteenth, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I, I haven't seen it. I think I'm the only cast member who hasn't seen it yet. This is ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. Man, a Netflix subscription right away. But yes, uh, I yes Netflix. <laughs> can I have a Netflix subscription so I can watch the film I'm in? Thank you so much. <laughs> Which camera should I? That, 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 that little one there. That, that one. little tiny one. Thank you, Netflix. <laughs> And there's also one up there. You want to say it again? Thank you, Netflix. There we go. Do you want to give your email address? Boss? And one for everyone here, Netflix. Thank you. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, right, and Love and Friendship out in Blu-ray on yeah. by yeah. some act of serendipity. Is I it? know. It's, it's yeah. a different... It's a Dave, Beckinsale different Kate Beckinsale film. film. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, got this, I got this mixed up. Uh, awesome. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It uh, thank been, you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Tom Bennett, everybody.
<laughs> Cost me 50p, that can of peas. Can I claim it back? <laughs> Got nothing to eat now. <laughs> I'm really hungry. Oh, no. Uh, right, so there we go. That is our first guest. Um, and now it is time for the reviews Three. part of the show. We usually do this at the end, but we're going to do it in the middle because it's live. Uh, so... Let's start with The Magnificent Seven, which is, of course, Anton Fuqua's remake of Pixar's A Bug's Life, uh, which was a remake of John Lattice's Three Amigos, which was a remake of Roger Corman's Battle Beyond the Stars, which was a remake of John Sturge's The Magnificent Seven, which was a remake of Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, which was a remake of... No, that, that was it. That was it. There we go. So, Phil Cat. Yeah. Magnificent Seven us into a frenzy. Okay. <clears throat> That's a big, big ask. <laughs> Immediate cough. Are you guys close to being in a frenzy as things stand? Because I'm not sure I'm going to push you much further. Um, I did not love this film very much, I have to be honest. If you, if you are looking for a bit of sort of throw, it's, basic, it's probably more of an action, action movie than a Western. It has Western tropes. It's obviously you know, set in the West, but it doesn't really, for me, kind of live live in the company of the kind of the original for one thing um, and a lot of the other westerns that people kind of know and love um, <clears throat> Chris sort of explained the setup you probably are aware of what the story is um, but you have Denzel Washington effectively in the Yule Brenner role as the guy that kind of rounds up this posse of um, kind of miscreants and renegades and, and, and sends them to uh, join him on a quest to a place called Rose Creek um, where they have to dislodge the malevolent Bartholomew Bogue, uh, who is unfathomably malevolent. Like, you, know I mean? <laughs> you cannot overstate how great his levels of malevolence are. The film opens with him malevolenting all over the town, <laughs> people with bodies everywhere. And he, you know, he's really not a great employer either, so you're kind of left wondering why anyone wants to work for him. Um, I think the first one had... Um, it had kind of a believable... So did Seven Samurai. They weren't really delineated, the bad guys, but you could kind of understand what they were coming from. They were, you know, Mexican banditos or, or Japanese um, bandits, basically, that were looking to exploit the land. Fuqua's kind of added this extra anti-capitalist element. and But like a lot of the film and this whole sort of multiracial team they put together, it, it, it felt a lot like lip service to me. There isn't really any ideas that are fleshed out. Um, they deliver lines about, you know, being unified in the face of a common threat that make you think that it's going to expand into this interesting, you know, indictment on America or say something interesting and new, but it kind of doesn't. Um, the final battle is pretty full on. It's PG-13, so the violence is... What's that over here? It, bloodless. It's bloodless, yeah. It's bloodless, but very violent, which you see in a lot of these sort of films now, and it feels a bit... There's a lot of body. I mean, enormous number of bodies um, by the end. But, yeah, I mean, I love westerns. I didn't find much. I really wanted to like this film. The cast is great. You've obviously got, you know, um, just to read through them, uh, Chris Pratt, of course, Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio plays... Um, <laughs> A bear. He's basically the bear for the Revenant, isn't he? With a very squeaky voice. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whose idea that was. I think he just came on set, and everyone was like, "We don't know what he's doing. Just let him get on with it." Yeah. Um, Luckily, they were filming a movie at the time. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> it was just, what's he up to? Well, we thought he was going to be the bad guy when the when the when the news broke that he was in it. You'd assume that Vincent D'Onofrio, I guess, fresh from Kingpin, was going to be this vicious overlord. Mm -hmm. um, Lee Byung Hun. Um, 
Manuel Garcia, Rulfo, and Martin Seismeyer. Seismeyer, yeah. yeah. I apologize to everyone's so pronunciation the, there. They are the pub quiz answer for 30 years' time because, you know, it's Horse Buchholz and Brad Dexter. They're yeah. the ones that trip people up these days. Name the Magnificent Seven. And you're going, yeah, of course, Brenner, but, oh, you know, and but, but yeah, now but, it's but I watched uh, the original Magnificent Seven again after seeing this, and you know, it, I don't think for me it doesn't really stand company with the kind of the Searchers and the Outlaw Josie Wales and Once Upon a Time in the West and the really classic westerns. But it is fun. It's a throwaway film, and each of the character gets de- gets delineated. You know, even Brad Dexter's character, and he, the acting is a bit hammy, but there's something interesting going on there. Um, here, I'm I'm at a loss by the end to yeah. see who any of these people are or why they've joined forces or care about them or and I think if you don't really care about them dying then the film hasn't done a very yeah. good job I think I think it has a real problem in the, the, the exactly that I think you know Ethan Hawke does a good job of trying to make his character something Vincent D'Onofrio is trying to make his character something I'm not sure how much Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt were trying to do anything different from normal to be perfectly honest Chris Pratt plays his usual character but meaner and it's you just don't like him. Like he's did you he's describe still him funny. as a bit of a dick? In this he's film? really yeah. awful. Yeah, I yeah. didn't like him. Um, I also had a little bit of an issue with the women. You've got uh, is it Haley Bennett as a as you know the sort of the kick-ass woman who who brings them to town in the first place to try and defend them against Peter Sarsgaard and his men. Um, but she is part of this God-fearing Christian community, and she wears the most low-cut tops. And I'm a bit. I'm not a historian, but I feel like she should maybe have covered up a little bit more. And even in the Wild West, and again, I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected on this, I don't think the sort of saloon girls wore nothing on their bottom half below their, you know, knickers. Yeah. And they really, like, they're walking down the middle of the street in broad daylight just with it all hanging out, and that seemed a little bit odd. I, miss, I think I missed it is really? very much Denzel. It's very much Denzel Unchained, isn't it? Like without him, this film isn't going to get made, and he's just doing Denzel. And I think Chris Pratt is kind of doing a bit Chris Pratt, um, but meaner, but meaner, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. he's not like that really. Um, but I think yeah, this is the very ex- the, the fullest extent of whether Chris Pratt can coast by on his charm. This role, because I found it as well. It's like he's meant to be the Steve McQueen of the of the movie in many ways, not. Not really the same character. I think the only character that is analogous to the to the original remake is um, Ethan Ethan Hawke's yeah. character, uh, but um, who's a cowardly gunslinger. But otherwise, Chris Pratt's meant to be really cool and saying off, you know, beat quips, and it doesn't quite work. Tonally, he's a bit weird, and he's a little racist as well in this, which yeah. is really the race really issue in this is very odd because. Denzel's race, especially in one scene, you think, oh, we're really, we're going to talk about this, my goodness. And then they don't. And I think, okay, that's commendable. We, mm. we shouldn't always make this an issue. That's great. Mm. But with, it, with the exception of him, race is an issue with every other non-white character. So I don't know what we're supposed to take from that, but it seems really uncomfortable. It just, I, I thought that was tonally a very bad decision. This movie opened on Friday here. Uh, has anyone seen it? Yeah? What, what did you think? Okay? Okay, yeah. Uh, but Phil gave it two stars. It two stars. Okay. I'm a little bit above that. I, I think it's a fairly solid Western. It has some issues, 
But um, I, I enjoyed all the, the dead people. That was good fun. Um, it has an incredible body count, as Phil said. It's just, at one point they go, you know, Peter Sarsgaard, he's the bad guy. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard has an army of, well, they, they, his character name. They don't go, Peter Sarsgaard has an army of 200 people. That'd be weird. Bogue. Yeah, Bogue. Bartholomew Bogue, because we couldn't find a more villainous name. And that is possibly the most villainous name in movie history. Bartholomew Bogue. Uh, so Peter Sarsgaard has an army of 200 men. And, you know, not to give away a spoiler, but <laughs> they all die. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's you're downsizing watch, on a drastic scale. Yeah, you watch this movie unfold, which is meant to be like... At a the end, he's got, a. it's basically him and Steve from HR. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> else is dead. <laughs> yeah. But. It, it actually surpasses Hot Shots Part Duh yeah. in its body count, yeah, which is, as we all know, extremely screen. impressive. Yeah. You're watching this, but it's meant to be a quite you know, nice Western romp, and people are being shot in the face and garroted and stabbed, and yeah, it was uh, quite, quite full on. Quite full We've on. had some good Westerns recently, I think. Mm. I mean, Hell or High Water is a sort of modern Western, and then last year we had Slow West, Slow Boat West, Tomahawk. You know, um, The Hateful Eight, obviously Django, to an extent, The Revenant isn't a Western, but it is. Um, and they all said something interesting or did something interesting or showed you something new. And I didn't think this film did any of those things. Hence, I gave it two stars. Sorry. <laughs> Hence, two stars indeed. Uh, okay, so that's two stars for the Not-So-Magnificent Seven. Uh, next up, we have a post-apocalyptic zombie movie. But, but don't worry. This is a good one. It's a girl with all the gifts. Yes. Hell's Bells. So this is the adaptation of the book of the same name, adapted by its author. And uh, it's a really, really smart, I thought, zombie movie. Uh, I don't know if zombie's the right word. We can argue about infection and stuff later. But the idea is, well, it opens with uh, a young girl, Melanie, um, who is locked in a sort of concrete cell every day and we see her looking at a picture of a kitten and we see her sort of you know just touching it and being fascinated by it a siren goes off she gets into her sort of armored wheelchair and prepares to strap herself down troops burst in at gunpoint strap the rest of her in that she couldn't do herself and wheel her off to class with similarly restrained children and you're kind of going this is making me uncomfortable and seems a little bit much. She seems charming. What's going on? It turns out, of course, that there has been a sort of fungal uh, apocalypse, a sort of zombie apocalypse, and uh, the infected, or the hungries as they're called, have basically taken over the world, and this small base has a last remnant, one of the many last remnants of humanity, trying to find a cure, find some kind of... Uh, way to protect themselves against this infection and this disease. Um, and she and her cohorts may hold the key. So Glenn Close is the scientist trying to investigate them. She doesn't believe they're real kids. She knows they're, they're infected to some degree, but they can still hold on. They can still think. They can still reason. So what does this mean? There must be some kind of cure in their blood. Um, and we don't quite find out why they're like that for quite a long time. Um, Gemma Arderton plays their very kind of empathetic, considerate teacher who, who does see them as real children. And then Paddy Considine is the guard who is forced with keeping them in line and seems initially extremely hostile to all of them. Uh, long story short, they end up going on a journey when the base is attacked and Glenn Close is determined to keep Melanie alive to find a way to, to kind of extract what's in her and use it for the good of the people that are left. Um, so it sets up some 
what I find really fascinating kind of moral issues, this one, because I think it plays on kind of generational anxieties. I think, you know, adults are terrified on some level that young people are going to usurp them and take their place and destroy everything that they've wrought. And young people, quite rightly in many cases, are kind of resentful of adults for trying to keep them restrained and keep them under guard and basically sort of feed off their energy without leaving them anything to work with. And I think that the the film plays with that in really interesting ways because we find out fairly early on, you know, the experiments Glenn Close is doing will threaten Melanie and her friends. They, you know, there's no guarantee they will survive these experiments. So she's literally feeding off them to protect herself in her plan. So how does that kind of work out? So really interesting, smart film. I agree with that, especially in relation to the Glenn Close character, because you really do feel she's kind of quote-unquote the villain of the piece, but you do understand that she has motivations that are in themselves honourable and dishonourable at the same time. So there's there's a sort of a knot at the middle of this film, which is really interesting, which, which I think probably it needs because it does retread a lot of the kind of the genre territory yeah. that you've seen before. I mean, it's hard not to think about 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. Children of Men to an extent, mm-hmm. and obviously all of the, the zombie films, the Romero, etc. But this one, I think, does, does its own thing, really yeah. interesting. There are some, some fantastically tense scenes because these hungries kind of go into a hibernation state when there's, there's no meat around but they'd snap out of it instantly. So if you move really carefully and you don't smell like a person, you can make your way through a crowd of them. But if at any point during that something goes wrong, you're really super done for. So, I mean, it's the tension. I, I'm, a, I'm a wuss, I've said this before, but I was basically chewing my arm off by the end of it. It's interesting. It doesn't explain every... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It doesn't explain the rules of the world straight away, does it? Yeah. It sort of unfolds. They, they put this gel on themselves, and it only comes later that they kind of explain exactly what that is and the ramifications. But what a um, cast. What a cast. Yeah. I mean, not the sort of cast you'd expect to find in a, in a movie like this, a quote-unquote genre film, but Glenn Close. Yep, fantastic. Yep. Paddy Considine. I mean, he's always brilliant. I'm just listing people now, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> to list more people? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Come on. Yeah. Um, I should mention uh, Sanaya Nanuna, who's the, um, the the star. She's Melanie mm. herself. Um, she's very, very young. It's not quite her first job, but it's very close to it. And she is fantastic. Holding your own opposite Glenn Close in some of these scenes at that age, I think, is phenomenal. And she has to spend much of the movie wearing plastic face mask, like yeah. Jason Voorhees is a waist strip or something. This transparent. <laughs> <laughs> like a mini Hannibal Lecter. No, yeah. it's kind of been fun. But yeah. she is really, really terrific. So we loved this film. Um, Girl with All the Gifts, and we gave it... Five stars. Five stars. So it's a big noise in the quote-unquote genre film department. So go and check that out right now. Um, yeah, fantastic stuff. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. It's a good time for zombie movies. Watch out for Train to Busan in about a month as well. Mm. Very excited about that one also. Uh, right, next up, um, I'm going to talk about De Palma, which is a documentary about... Uh, Brian De Palma, um, from Noah Baumbach and Jake Palcho. Um, and this is, uh, I don't think you guys have seen this yet, have you? Not this yet. is a fantastic documentary. Who, who loves Brian De Palma in this, in this room? That means lots of you don't like Brian De Palma. Who hates uh, Brian De Palma? Yeah. Who wants to kick Brian De Palma in his shins? 
Nobody. Yeah, all right, there we go. Let's carry it. We all love Brian De Palma. Um, just an amazing, amazing director over so many years. And this is a fascinating documentary because it is a Talking Heads documentary, but the Talking Head is Brian De Palma's. He's the only voice in this documentary, and it's an extended interview from Bombach and uh, Paltrow, and where he takes us through his life and his career, and he talks about how he came to make some of his really more personal kind of messed up movies like Body Double and uh, how he, you know, he came to make Carrie and Mission Impossible and The Untouchables. It's a wonderful, wonderful insight into a great, really idiosyncratic, fantastic filmmaker. Um, and he also has some, some, some good stories as well about working with Tom Cruise and, and uh, Bonfire of the Vanities. And he admits making some mistakes over time. And you know, it's, it's quite an interesting, I think, uh, reflection as well on how... De Palma even says it, and how directors, as they get older, they seem to lose creative spark. And I, it's a really, really good thing. But what it'll, it'll do, more than anything else, is just make you want to rush out and watch as many Brian De Palma films as possible, uh, whether, it, whether it is Carrie or Phantom of the Paradise, which is a film I haven't seen, but I think Edgar Wright is showing it in London soon at the Picture House Central. So go maybe and check that one out. I will be there, uh, getting my first taste of that movie. Uh, Carlito's Way, Scarface, The Untouchables, Mission Impossible, I mean, The Man Is Made, Snake Eyes, which is a film I, I really have a soft spot for. Uh, he's an extraordinary, prefero, virtuoso filmmaker, and this is a really, really great documentary that you want to be longer. You want to listen to him. You want to listen to him. You want to hear more of what he has to say. Uh, I think he has a reputation as being somewhat curmudgeonly Brian De Palma over the years, but he's really funny in this and really reflective and honest and open. So there we go, De Palma. I believe we gave that four stars. Uh, and very, very quickly as well, there's another movie out this week, Little Men. Yes. From Ira Sachs. Ira Sachs. Um, Follow-up from his last film, Love is Strange, which was lovely, um, With, um, really. Brian De Palma's favourite bad guy, John Lithgow. We, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. John Lithgow's <laughs> really not in this film. one, but he really does have... Alfred Molina, who's kind of a bit of a talisman for him. But the film is it's kind of a really lovely human drama about gentrification. Um, Greg Kinnear and Jennifer Ellie uh, are a married couple. Greg Kinnear, is, he's a aspiring actor. His father's died and he's left him um, an apartment across the river in Brooklyn. Um, underneath the apartment is a shop run by um, Paulina Garcia's hard-working, put-upon dress shop owner. And, and, the, and the moral conundrum at the heart is that he, they need the money. And the only way that they can get the money is to put the rent up on her apartment, which would drive her out and, and create problems that are complex, com- complicated by the friendship that sprung up between their respective sons. Um, my, Michael Barbaria, I think I pronounced that wrongly as, as well. Uh, he's in the new Spider-Man film. And Theo Taplitz, who are both fantastic. Um, one is a sort of more extrovert, uh, aspiring actor. The other one's more sort of bookish and, and artistic. Uh, the two of them form a very lovely friendship. And I think Iris Axe is fantastically good at just not judging his characters. Uh, it's a difficult situation. It doesn't encourage you to take sides in this kind of conundrum just to understand all of the characters and what they're going through and, and get a real sense and empathy for them, especially the kids. I mean, it's named for the kids, little, the little men. They're on the sort of the verge of becoming bigger men, I guess, teenagers um, and making choices in, in their lives together and forming a, an unlikely friendship. Um, and that's the heart of the film. And it is a film with a lot of heart. And I think we gave it four stars. I reviewed it. So I don't know why I say I think we gave it four stars. You're I gave sure. it four stars. So yes, that's one, 
one to see as well. And to be clear, it's not an update of the follow-up to Little Woman. Nothing to do with the Louisa May Alcott. It's not in the little person verse. Okay. No, it's just... I'll be honest, a that's a letdown. Thing. Okay, it's time for our second guest on the podcast. He's another actor who's had a barnstorming 2016 when he brought one of Marvel Comics' most iconic characters to eye-popping, crime-fighting, bulletproof life in Netflix's Jessica Jones. Even if I did have to shield my eyes during all the rumpy, pumpy sex bits. Um, and now he's back for more. Crime fighting, that is, not rumpy pumpy. Uh, as the star of his very own Netflix slash Marvel series, please welcome the man mountain that is Mike Coulter. Hello. Well, well, well. Luke Cage himself is in the house. Amazing, amazing. Mike, I have to start. I've, I've been avoiding, I've been given uh, a few episodes of Luke Cage, but I want to binge them all in one go when they come out uh, at the end of the month. Next week, isn't it? Next week, September yeah, next 30th. Yeah, next week, September 30th. Uh, September 30th, worldwide, yeah. So I don't know whether there is a lot of rumpy, pumpy sex stuff in Luke Cage. Define rumpy pumpy. Yeah, rumpy pumpy is a very British term. Is that fast? The, or? the act of intercourse, yeah, pretty much. Is it quick? But, uh, yeah, very, very quick. Okay, it's, very, very quick. it's not yeah. rumpy pumpy. Uh, my experience it is. It's not a phrase you've used before. No, no, it's, it's, more, it's more legato than staccato. Because <laughs> I must admit, I, I, I've said this on the podcast before, but as a long-standing Marvel Comics uh, fan, uh, I had to shield my eyes during certain parts of Jessica Jones. Uh, yeah, so uh, will I have to shield my eyes again during the uh, cage? That's a good question. Um, I guess you're going to have to watch it to see. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So um, you are now playing Luke Cage again in your very own series. You were in Jessica Jones uh, for a, a number of episodes was that a, an excellent sort of starting point to get to know the character so that when you, you hit the ground running with a series, you could, you could do that, you could hit the ground running? Yeah, I, I think uh, ultimately what it was allowed me to do was to be able to kind of uh, have a chance to show another side of Luke because Luke leading his own series is a different character than the Luke and Jessica Jones. Uh, Jessica Jones' version of Luke was the, Jess- was a, the Luke seen through Jessica's eyes and point of view. So he was a confidant, a supporter. Uh, he was a lover, obviously. Uh, he was someone that she needed to confide in and help her to get through her day. He didn't try and solve her problems uh, like some men try to do because it's a, it's a, it's a female-driven storyline, and she's um, more than able to do her own fighting. So it was more about the relationship that they developed in the chemistry. And, of course, we find out that she had something to do with Luke's, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Luke's past. And uh, ultimately, they kind of had to go their separate ways. But uh, that, that series was really unique, and I really was uh, happy to be a part of it. We've already spoiled five movies. Oh, okay. uh, So it wouldn't worry too much. Is, is there talk of, um, when, you, when you do a Netflix show like this, that, that you're bringing people that may not have seen Jessica Jones that are coming to Luke Cage fresh, um, but also you don't want to have to kind of go back over all turf for those people that have seen what, what Luke went through before. Yeah. How do you approach that? Well, each, each 
series is sort of standalone. I mean, if you haven't seen Jessica Jones, you can still enjoy Luke because we don't spend too much time worried about the, uh, what happened in Jessica Jones, uh, the series with Luke. It's about three to five months after that, after that series. Um, he's kind of moved uptown to Harlem, which is a completely different part of New York City. And so if you haven't seen it, you can start watching it fresh and we'll give you some references. There will be some flashbacks, especially to Luke's origin story, but it's kind of a standalone series. Um, but I, I hope you guys are curious enough to check out Jessica Jones because it does shed some light on uh, Luke's past and, and we'll cover more of that. But Netflix is really smart about making sure that you don't have to have watched Daredevil to watch Jessica Jones. You don't have to have watched Jessica Jones to watch Luke Cage. So, mm-hmm. I have to say, I love the fact that there was, because I did watch the episodes that Chris has held himself back from. I want to binge. Was... I want to binge. I want to watch all 13. <laughs> I, I, I binged on seven. It's like two binges. Yeah, it's a half a, half yeah. a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But there, was, there are some great nods to, to Luke Cage's past in the comics. And there is a, I'm not going to give away how it happens or when it happens or anything else, but there's a, there's a little nod to his original costume at one point. <laughs> yeah. um, was that horrific for you to contemplate or kind of fun, <laughs> secretly? Listen, after, after dodging the bullet of having to wear the original costume for the entire series, I was up for anything. Um, as long as I didn't have to put on the uh, tiara and the, and the chains and the, and the big yellow shirt for the entire series, I was, I was pretty happy. So when there was discussion of how we would un- unveil this, this, this um, nod to the past, and it, it actually worked pretty organically. Yeah. And um, I think when you see the series or see the episode that, that you're talking about, you kind of see it coming, but it, it's still very sad satisfying yeah. to finally let it happen and then um, I, we, I described it in one interview as a slow sort of uh, orgasm for fanboys and, 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 and my showrunner is quick to, quick to um, point out it was t- uh, tantric you know not, 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 the, not in the sense that you know um, that I was referring to um, so I think it, it's very satisfying so hopefully people will get a kick out of it awesome. I, I did I got a kick I out did of definitely it. watching it was great how did, you, uh, how did you get involved in the first place? How did you get the role of Luke Cage? Oh, it's funny. You know, and here I think people understand the actors usually uh, sign on for jobs. And, and I think actors here are pretty flexible. I mean, sometimes actors leave shows and they seem to kind of be able to kind of control their own career. I think in, in the States and stateside, we, actors there tend to sign contracts that, like, you can't get out of. You just, you just, you just, you, that's it. Once you sign a contract, you're pretty much done for the rest of your life. Um, so every time you sign on to a project, especially a TV series, you're kind of, you know, you're just trusting that this is going to work out. In my case, when this came about, I was already on another job and uh, we hadn't started filming yet. And I kind of was content to live in Los Angeles where I'm actually living. And, and I wanted to kind of work in the same town. It's, it's a luxury in this point because everything shoots outside of Hollywood. Yeah. So uh, when this job came about, I looked at the script and I said, oh, my God, this kind of looks really cool. And I kind of knew what it was because I had heard people talking about this and I kind of tried to ignore it because you, you never know. You're not going to necessarily get the job you want. So if you want something, you just kind of got to, you know, just don't think about it too much because if you don't want to be dis- too disappointed. So I walked in. I saw the material. I immediately knew that this was something that was really right for me. And I went in. I said, oh, audition probably went well, but I'm not going to think about it because more than likely it's not going to happen no matter what because I'm in a contract. I can't get out of it. They call me back uh, and they say, listen, I'm really interested in, in having them come back and want to do some chemistry reads. And I'm going, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, I'm thinking I got a contract. I'm never going to get out of it. So I kept pursuing it, knowing that I had a contract, thinking this is the worst thing to do to yourself because it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of torture. Why would you go for something that you know you can't have and you keep pursuing it? So I finally got to the point. I'm, I'm in the room. 
I'm, I'm testing against a, a few guys, but I still know that, I mean, honestly, I'm not being cocky, but I kind of thought it was my job to lose. Because, you know, <laughs> when you have a job, it's like, well, worst case scenario, you, you just go back to your other job, right? Yeah. So I, 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 I kind of went in there with playing with house money, is what we say in America. <laughs> uh, and I, I got in there, and things went well. Uh, after a couple hours and I got the job but then the you know I, I had to you know obviously get rid of the other job so <laughs> I took two weeks but lawyers talked and eventually the great producers that that I had on the other job knew that Luke Cage was such a unique opportunity they said we're going to get you out of the contract out of their own show I mean basically they were shooting themselves in their own foot I mean you talk about rewriting a show changing your own plot lines to let an actor go it's insane because you know it doesn't make sense for you but yeah. they did that and uh, I thank them for it you know it's great uh, can you say what the other show was? Uh, it was a show that uh, is no more uh, and so I guess it worked out for me <laughs> <laughs> it was called Agent X and uh, it, it lasted about a season so um, you know I, I guess I made the right move that's okay because yeah. obviously when you sign on when anyone signs on to, to a Marvel show or a film it's a long commitment yeah so yeah. You, you probably sign on the dotted line thinking I could be playing this character in 10 years time does that go through your head when you're no I don't it doesn't especially when you're like you just I can't think that far ahead if I, if I start thinking about that then it starts to become overwhelming I always say that you know eventually you know either they're going to come up either they're going to not have any more storylines to write or I'll just be too old to play it but one day it has to come to an end it's just you know it's just it is you know there's a shelf life for everything so I'm just going to enjoy it while I can have you had any sort of those frustrating moments when a good script has landed and you've had to turn it down because of the commitment? Oh, um, you know what happens? I tend to not even look if, because if, if I really can't have it, like I thought I couldn't have this, but you know, I, I, I did pursue it. But in this situation, I mean, there are things that I know I just can't have because it's just not on the table. My time commitment is, is too, too, too over all encompassing. So I kind of, I try not to look. I mean, right at this point, I'm just trying to look at the moments that I have that I'm not shooting. If I know I'm not going to be filming, only look at things that fall in that gap or otherwise you're just ruining, you just don't do yeah. it. Yeah. Other things you can't have include ice cream, I imagine. Ice cream, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really, you know, people don't realize, you know, sometimes when you're filming a movie, you, you can do something, get in shape for like, you know, three months, you can stop, no problem. TV, if you're shooting series after series and you have this big commitment, it's all the time, all year round. I didn't sign up to be like, you know, in the gym all the time and it becomes, a, a, you know, it's a part-time job. So now you're like going to the gym when you don't want to. I mean, you're in there and you and you literally, the last thing you want to do is go to the gym. You have like one day off and, or a couple hours in your day and you're going, I guess I got to go in the gym. I, I, I guess I got to. And you got to skip that, you know, ice cream. I mean, I, can't, I haven't ice, had ice cream in like a, a year. I mean, can you imagine that? That's so good. I mean, God forbid. Get this God man forbid. some ice cream. God damn it. God forbid. You know, a slice of pizza. Okay, I did have one slice of pizza. Is there a lot of overlap between your... That's... Oof. I love how I wistfully you talk about that. I had, I had a slice of pizza. I had a slice of pizza. And alcohol. I mean, people, people take it for granted. Alcohol has so many empty calories. I love wine. I love beer. Can't have a lot of it anymore. Really don't. It's just really bad. Is there a little overlap between your gym playlist and the soundtrack for, for Luke Cage? Actually, some of the stuff that was already on Luke Cage was stuff that was already on my iPod playlist. Um, and, and that's what's great about it. Like, me and the showrunner talked about it, and they were just immediate things that we kind of just we, we, we connected on. Like, Wu-Tang Clan, we just really liked that. You know, we just, yeah. Did you actually kind of sneak onto the set to see any of the live music? Because you weren't in most of those scenes, at least that I've seen for so far. Yeah, I. Um, but yeah, but most of the times um, I would be in my dressing room because the stage is so large. We, we, I'd be filming something else. So there were several times I was able to go on set. I think I only missed probably one one live performance. I think. Yeah, I think only was one. Yeah. You had Method Man from Wu Tang, didn't you? Oh yeah, that was great. Great. 
I was a big fan of Method Man. I, I, it was it's funny because my my college years was was their prime time when they were like in the nineties when they were really hot. And uh, he came on set, and I got to tell you, he was you know he was such a professional. Because sometimes you think about rap artists like that, you're going, oh boy. Is he going to show up high? Is he going to come in? <laughs> he's going to come in stoned and not know his lines. It was like, what's going to happen? But he's such a great guy. He came in and um, you know, not to have a, not to spoil anything, but you know, he 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 lended his uh, his pipes and his vocals to some of the stuff that we're doing. So I hope you guys enjoy it because he he was written specifically for Luke Cage. Oh wow! Yeah. So this is a very different show in terms of style and feel from Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the main thing, I think, is that we, when you change the setting, I, I don't know if anybody, I don't know how many people have traveled to this, the States and seen New York City, but Manhattan is always, you know, shown in pictures and shown in uh, lots of different uh, films and television series. But Harlem is kind of not so much uh, explored. Uh, you may have seen some of the landmarks like Apollo Theater and there's Cotton Club, but the the neighborhood and the culture is unique. It's a it's a wonderful place and it's kind of going through a, a you know gentrification process as they say. And what it means is obviously we're bringing in some new businesses. I mean, there's a a, a different look to the neighborhood because the money's flowing there and people want to live there and it's uh, it's an affluent neighborhood and it's changed quite a bit over the last 10 to 15 years but the Harlem that we show in Luke Cage is one of a romanticized Harlem where it's kind of you're not sure exactly what time it is but it's definitely a time that's not in the 80s or or, or 70s and it's I, I wouldn't say even in the 90s it's kind of current but at the same time you're not exactly sure what the time period is um but it's it's a great it's a great uh, character unto itself so we really liked the fact that we decided to go to Harlem and and, and be quite honest, when you're shooting in New York City, everything is so tight and small. And a lot of times you go to these cities, you can't access streets because you're trying to park these big trucks and you're trying to, you know, basically every time you see something shooting, there's 120 people behind the camera. You know, it looks like nothing, it looks like nobody's there, but it's like 120 people besides who you see on the camera. So where do you put them? So that's what the problem is. And Harlem gives us a lot of space. New Yorkers are famously pretty vocal. Like, and when they're passing film sets, they're not oh, necessarily yeah. great respecters of, you know, yeah. <laughs> keep quiet stuff. So yeah. Have you had any experiences oh, of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the difference in Harlem is that I feel like the people in Harlem were very appreciative of, of us, our presence because they knew what we were trying to do and they're really supportive. Um, but in general, between the paramedics, between helicopters, between buses, horns, you're shooting a scene outside, you're going to shoot it probably 10 times anyway. Just That's just that's just the normal thing in television and film. You're shooting a scene 10 times, you got to cover it from so many different angles. So you're already expecting to have a long day. But then when you're having a good scene and things are going well and something you know comes by, it's like, bah, bah. right in your line. You're like, the most important moment of the scene is, bah, bah, and you're going, great. All right, let's try that again. And literally, it's quiet, quiet, okay. You go, bah, bah, and you go, oh, great. I mean, something always happens. People ride by in the car, and they're like, Luke Cage! And they're just like, yelling, Luke Cage! And it's like, you know, just, you know, just... Anything you can think of happens. I mean, they think they're really supporting us, but it's like, dude, we are trying to record a, a television show here. So, um, but you got to love it and you got to embrace it because ultimately we are taking up all of their neighborhood. And what people don't know in their neighborhoods, we take cars. If you have a car in your neighborhood and you live there, if we don't move the car and we put a sign up days in advance and tell you we're filming and you don't move the car, we have people who will take your car, tow it away, put it on another street, and then you come looking for it, and you're like, where's my car? Of course, you're thinking someone stole it, and you start panicking, and then you find out there's some, someone filming there, and then you have to go find the first AD who will then tell you what street your car is parked on. It, it's insane. I mean, could you imagine? It's almost like, you know, we stole your car. I mean, we just moved it. I mean, you know. 
Happens all the time. Happened to me actually. I was I, I, before when I was in the business. It happened to me, and I, I was I was annoyed. I mean, I I work in a business. And I still get annoyed. <laughs> Did you find it? Is it still out there somewhere? Yeah, this was 15 years ago. I got rid of that car. I was you know. Yeah. So you so, said lots of people now recognize you as Luke Cage. Shouting out Luke Cage in the streets. Um, does this mean that it's hard for you to go into bars in case people go, hey, Luke Cage? Hey, Mr. Bulletproof Skin. Yeah, hey, Mr. You know, Tough Fighter. It, it, it happens pretty much every time. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And I like going into pubs and sitting in the bar and you know just kind of just doing what everybody else does, watching a TV screen or just chatting up with a friend of mine or something like that, the bartender. But it does become difficult because, you know, inevitably someone always comes over and, you know, starts a conversation like, you know, is your skin really unbreakable or, or you know, or, or sweet, or they'll say something like sweet Christmas. You know, they'll just, you know, come over. Or, um, and, and the worst part, and, the, and this you, you guys are gonna, can probably, you know, feel my pain on this. The worst part is that when I'm drinking, people always want to buy me a drink and I'm going, God, I, I really, you know, I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, rude, but I, I really don't need another drink, number one. And number two, I'm trying to watch my calories and they're just thinking, come on, have one more, have one more. I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. Please, please. It's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of hard, you know, with the free drinks. It really hurts. Oh. Um, when you, so when you can't accept. World's oh. smallest violin. I've got, I've got to ask about the fourth defender. So obviously Finn Jones is going to be playing Iron mm. Fist. Uh, the two characters are very close in the comics. Have you met him yet? Have you had a chance? No. They, when, one thing about Marvel, um, when you're shooting a series, uh, it's like a six-month engagement, and sh- we all shoot those uh, series in New York City. Uh, I'm living in L.A., and I'm off... off um, off-season, I'm living in L.A., and I'm doing press, obviously, around the world. Uh, I had a project here and there in between, so I'm pretty busy. I was in New York, actually, in Gramercy Park, where they were shooting one of the scenes outside uh, the hotel, and I knew they were going to be there, and I, I was trying to get on set, but they didn't start until probably 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which means on a 12-hour, 14-hour day, they'd probably wrap about 2 or 3 in the morning, because our days are pretty long. Um, so I, was, I had to go back to L.A., so I missed the opportunity to say hello to them in person. We've talked via uh, email, and um, um, we're going to spend a lot of time on set, so it's not, it's not, it's no problem. We're going to have six months of each other. It's going to be plenty of time to get acquainted. So <laughs> definitely, I've got to ask one more question, not about Luke Cage, but about the Good Wife. Yeah. Um, so, oh, we've got some fans in the house. Um, the, the, I mean, the sophisticated crowd. Uh, yeah. Oh, I've, I've always said so. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, your character, Lamont Bishop, was just a super cool, controlled you know, guy, but obviously also a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> last we saw him... Por- that's only one thing in his portfolio. I mean, the yeah. guy had dry cleaning businesses. He did. He had horse stables. He had a gym. He had all these different businesses and people keep talking about this drug thing. It's, I don't get it. I'm, I apologize. I, that was unfair of You me. know, I mean, I have a diversified <laughs> portfolio. I don't... But, I mean, we left him, you know, uh-huh. in prison. What do you they think happens <laughs> after that? You know what happened with that, to be quite honest, and uh, I loved working on the show. It was fun. We had a problem. I mean, I, I got this job, and uh, it was something that obviously would take up most of my time in the contract. It didn't allow, it, the time didn't allow, the scheduling didn't allow for me to actually go back to The Good Wife. I, I, we were trying to do that, and so when we left the character and in, 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 uh, incarcerated, took him to prison, it was so that we had an open window to then come back at some point and revisit it and maybe have him come out or, or whatnot, what have you. Um, me personally, I wanted to go out in a blaze of glory and uh, I wanted to uh, probably take Archie Punjabi with me, uh, Kalinda, I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to take her out too. Um, but they kind of like to make sure that they have the opportunity to bring characters back so it's always an open door policy so they don't like to kill a lot of characters. So it was unfortunate because there was lots of different endings we could have done. It's 
It's just that we didn't know that I would not be able to get back. So it just kind of, you know, kind of just was, that's the way it worked out. And they, and they filmed right across the street from where I was working. I mean, literally, I could go outside, I could go across the street, and they'd be in there filming. But I, I couldn't, I didn't have the time to actually work on the set, yeah. You've been, uh, aside from, obviously, Luke Cage, you've been in two Best Picture winning films. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Million Dollar Baby, obviously, mm-hmm. and Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah. Um, on the latter, you were, and you spent a bunch of time, was it in North, North Africa? Oh, that's uh, with, Jordan. We did Jordan. In Jordan, right, yeah. with um, Chris Pratt, Joel mm-hmm. Edgerton. Yeah. Frank Grillo. Yeah. It's a pretty cool bunch of guys. Do you, do you, are you still have a WhatsApp group or? You, you, <laughs> what's that? You know, I don't do any social media and I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too uh, tech savvy. So I kind of do the old fashioned thing and I text or call or write letters, you know. You know. I, I send pigeons sometimes, messages by pigeon. <laughs> pigeon. You know, it's, it's, it's expensive, but it's very impressive. You know, when the pigeon comes in and uh, lands and you take the note and then you, you send something back. It's, it takes a while, but I mean, it really, you, you don't forget. You don't forget, you know. Um, so, we, 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 the, you know, Hollywood's one of those things where you work with people and sometimes you collect friends one friend here at a time because you work like in these little you know three month three month uh, increments six month increments and tv shows are a lot longer you know in plays you you get to know people so it was funny about that we you know we spent like oh almost two months out there and it was a bunch of guys and i gotta tell you if you if you ever worked on something i don't know if you i mean you you get tired of seeing each other like seven eight weeks with a bunch of guys in the desert it gets old it's like i am so sick of looking in your face it's like is there anyone else here we spent so much time like we were basically arm wrestling and and uh i'm not gonna say who was eating flies but people were eating flies i mean that's how bored you get i mean who's eating flies i mean what is this i mean taking bets on eating flies where have we I'm not going to say. <laughs> you didn't hear it here first. Um, so, yeah, but we, we had a great time. I remember the funny thing is about, uh, about that was when um, we had wait, wait around about a week. We were doing some training, and we had to do this scene where we were basically going to the, um, the um, home of um, Osama bin Laden, and, and we were going in that house and kind of, kind of raiding the house. So we had about a few days off, so we had sit around, you know, doing what boys do and hanging out and tussling and arm wrestling. So everybody was arm wrestling and, uh, and I was winning a lot. I was winning. I was beating everybody. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not lying. I was beating everybody. And, and so I became the focal point. Everybody wanted a piece of me. Chris Pratt, everybody kept trying. By that time, I mean, I'm wrestling like 10 guys, but my arm's getting tired. So I, I'm like, I should have stopped, but I was like, you know, my pride wouldn't let me. So the last time uh, Pratt beat me on the 10th try after everybody else I'd beaten him twice and going around and it's like my arm is tired but I'm like one more time one more time and I think I must have pulled a muscle in my, in, in my forearm and so that's, that's perfect right so I pulled this muscle in my forearm my arm is so sore I mean it's like there's a, there's a problem I, I can tell you like I probably shouldn't have used it for the next three days but then we have to shoot this scene in which I'm holding like a 15 pound rifle and I have to go in there and like manhandle people and I'm literally I mean we were in the scene people were not helping me it's not like they were going I will help you manhandle me I was literally have to pick people up and throw them from the sides. You know, it was like the last thing I needed to do with my arm. My arm was so numb and so dead. It was the most painful experience. And every time I, we, we had a scene, it was like, okay, let's do it one more time. Like, are you kidding me? My arm, I cannot feel my arm. Yeah, so Amazing. that's what I remember about that. Mike will be arm wrestling people after yeah. the Q&A. Just, just the front row, though. Not, yeah, not, yeah. not, not everyone, just the front just row. Just form an orderly queue outside. So the Defenders, what can you tell us about that? When, when do you start? Have you been given the, uh, the, the call yet? Well, oh, yeah. We, well, we got picked up. I mean, obviously, went public. We got picked up for that series uh, a while ago. And they're still writing scripts. And we will start filming in the next few months. And that's kind of all I know, pretty much. Um, 
and that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, who we will face as a group, how we will kind of formulate the defenders, because we're not going to just come in the room and go, hey, guys, let's kick butt together and fight crime. <laughs> that's, not gonna, that's not how it works. It just that wouldn't be interesting to anyone. And Luke is kind of a, a loner anyway, and uh, Jessica and him, they kind of work together for a minute. But, you know, how this is going to kind of unfold itself and kind of work itself out, I don't know. I'm, I'm as interested as you guys are. Absolutely. Can't wait to find out. Uh, fantastic. And, of course, Luke Cage hits Netflix next week, September 30th. September Looking 30th. forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Please give it up. For my cult, Thank everybody. <laughs> my Coulter. Uh, and there will be a, a Luke Cage panel uh, with Mike and some uh, exclusive footage from the show. That's going to be here in the super screen. Uh, immediately after this, I think 4.15? 4.15. Yeah, sure, why not? 4.15. Uh, so that was awesome. Was Mike Coulter. Massive. Uh, right. So now it is time for you guys to ask us questions. Um, grill us like under-season steaks. Um, Sue, hands up if you want to ask us anything. Um, do you think that the Marvel TV series will ever cross over with the movies? We should have asked him, shouldn't we? <laughs> Can we get him back? He would have denied it, wouldn't yeah. he? He would have denied all knowledge. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's not unthinkable, but I don't know. There, there are lots of mentions, obviously, in the TV show of events ha- that have happened in the movies, of characters and so on. There's a little bit of a suggestion that... Um, there's actually a link between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Netflix shows. I think Sky might have been at the same orphanage we've seen for Daredevil. There's a suggestion of that, apparently. Um, but I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, it's the same universe. I mean, everything mm. is, is connected. Um, it's all connected. Hashtag, it's all connected. Uh, I think they missed a real trick with Civil War. Uh, as much as I... Who, who am I talking to, by the way? Where are you? Put your hand... Oh, there you are. Hello. Um, I think they missed a trick with Civil War. I think, um, you know, as much as I love that film, and I think uh, they, they could have had maybe a mention of Daredevil. But I don't know. It feels weird. It feels that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure, but it feels like the movies are one thing, and it's a TV show's job to keep up with the movies, and the movies don't necessarily need to acknowledge what's happening on Netflix or ABC with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's interesting because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now is about to have... Hey, our first question's banging on about Marvel. Uh, so uh, unlike us. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has Ghost Rider, and, so you, and they're beginning to open the supernatural element of the universe. So you would imagine that as we get towards Avengers Infinity War, parts one and two, whatever they're going to end up being called, that Thanos and his big portable space toilet is such a big threat that they will need Daredevil and a man with unbreakable skin and, you know, Jessica Jones and, you know, Iron Fist, he's Iron Fist. Uh, so, you know, who knows? I would love to see it happen. I would love to see it happen. Not least because I think the casting's great. The casting's spot on so far. You know, Kristen Ritter is amazing. Mike Coulter is Luke Cage. Um, you know, and Charlie Cox is a great Daredevil. So I'd love to see it happen. At the very least, Matt Murdock could represent Thanos in court. There's a couple of problems with that, Chris, but we'll let it go. Okay. Um, right. We did have this question down here. Over here. Oh, Thank we've you. got a mic handy. Look at that. And then we've got another person here. Thank you. I, uh, I just wanted to ask what movies are you three most excited about at the London Film Festival next month? 
Um, I want to see La La Land, which I haven't Damn seen question. yet. Um, Nocturnal Animals. Oh. What's just the, what the... No, nothing. That's what? fine. That seems like an exciting film. Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Arrival, you, which I may or may not have seen, and if I had, I would think it was really good and definitely worth seeing. Um, what else is there? What else is there? Yeah, those, those two are pretty good choices. Well, yeah. we have they're, a film pretty solid at choices. the London Film Festival. Do we, we do. We, there's an Empire Gala. Bleed for this. Yes. I'm actually quite we excited about that. We should know what it's called. We should. Bleed we for really this. should. Yeah. Bleed Which is the Miles Teller, Aaron Eckhart boxing movie. Uh, and everything I've heard so far is Aaron, Aaron Eckhart could be up for an Oscar for it. So that's kind of exciting. That was from Chris, though. He just wrote that. But down. yeah, he just, he just made it up. <laughs> it's nobody yeah, else. Honestly, just yeah. creating buzz. Where yeah, I goes. just think that any performance in any movie should be Oscar worthy. <laughs> you know, but hey-ho. It would be nice to see Aaron Eckhart. If Aaron Eckhart wins an Oscar, it should be for uh, London Has Fallen. Because he's just so good in that movie, so believable as a beleaguered president. And then there's a bit where he's in a closet and he comes out of the closet and Jerry Butler goes, hey, good to see you came out of the closet. And, and that's really progressive. Uh, <laughs> which which film are you most looking forward to? Do you have one? Queen of Catway, oh, yes. Oh, I want to see that as well. Again, uh, hearing great things. I'm looking forward to um, Mindhorn, which is a comedy by Julian Barrett and Simon Farnaby. And it's about a washed-up actor who played, like, a, in the 1980s, uh, he played an actor, uh, Julian Barrett plays this guy. Uh, he was an actor who played a character, a TV cop called Mindhorn. And then years later, a, a, um, a real serial killer thinks he is Mindhorn, and he gets called back on the case. And it's suitably ludicrous, as you might imagine, from those guys. <laughs> Have you seen Manchester by Sea? Oh, Manchester by Sea. Manchester by Sea. No, I haven't, and I really want Manchester by Sea. I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I also want to see My Life as a Courgette because I quite (laughs) like courgettes. It's an animated film, so. Sounds good. Sounds like the prequel to Fruit Ninja. Um, Is is courgette a fruit? I don't know. Look at me. I'm really unhealthy. No. Um, Right. What's next? Who's next? Yes, please. Hand. Hi there. Hello. Uh, Given the worrying news that Stevens. Spielberg and Harrison Ford are stepping up to the plate to do another Indiana Jones. The fourth, I believe. Fourth, the fourth. The yeah. fourth. Um, who do we think should take over the mantle after Harrison Ford? And sorry for sounding like God. <laughs> Never apologize. I feel so guilty for what I did last night, God. I'd like to apologize. Oh, Chris. What? Just saying. Um... Mm. I, Ian, Ian Freer, Freer should take over the mantle of Indiana Jones. You know what? I'd take him over most contenders. I don't think that mantle should be handed over for another 40 years. Never. Or ever. Never. I, I don't mind. One of those two. Genuinely, no one. Yeah. Leave it alone. Uh, Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck. <laughs> yeah. Tom Selleck's moustache. <laughs> uh, which I believe is now sentient uh, and is starring his own show on NBC. Uh, very excited about Magnum. Did you see this news this week about Magnum's daughter? They're going to do a show. We should have mentioned it in the movie news part, but anyway, hey-ho. Uh, so they're going to do a sequel to Magnum, but with Magnum's daughter, and they haven't confirmed the moustache yet, so it's going to be very interesting to see if that, that works. Um, but yeah, th- th- no, no. I, I think we said this in the podcast before. Uh, if they were to make a fourth Indiana Jones movie, um, th- th- you know, all well and good, Fair play to him. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Period. 
you know, Alden Ehrenreich may be great as young Han Solo, but I just, just leave it alone, which of course they won't do. So there will be someone at some point. So in that case, Alden Ehrenreich, he should play all, all Harrison Ford movies. I want to see a regarding Henry reboot with him in 10 years' time. I want, to see, I want to see him point his finger like Harrison Ford. We did a little bit earlier on, but you know. I want to see Alden Ehrenreich going, when I came home, there was a man in my house. You find that man. You find that man. I want to see him do that. So there we go. Love witness. Yeah. Can, we get a, can we do a poll? I know it's not very audio-friendly, but I wonder who thinks it's harder to fill the shoes of Han Solo and who thinks it's harder to fill the shoes of Indiana Jones? Ooh. Starting with Han Solo. Hands up if you think Han Solo is harder to fill, so to speak, than Harrison Ford. One person... No, 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 there's a smattering. <laughs> okay, I think I know where this is going to go. And who thinks that uh, Indiana Jones is pretty much irreplaceable and shouldn't be played by anybody else? Well, there we go. Okay, including the person who asked the question. I think Thank I asked you, a leading sir. question there, to be honest with that one. But yeah, I just think leave yeah. well alone. Um, and we had a question here in the middle. You have, do you still have the mic? Yes. yes. <laughs> if you were facing the end of the world... Which Matt Damon character would you want by your side? <laughs> Just Matt Damon. Um, Matt Damon. What was he? What was it? Which would we like to spend time with, or who would you want to go? With? Well, it's obviously, and I've forgotten his character name. The Martians. He Andy. What's his name? And Andy. Andy. Sorry. Mark Watney. That's Mark Watney. Yeah, I apologise. Mark Watney. Yeah. Do we right. need more information? Is there a specific apocalypse that well, we're Well, no, but I feel like if anyone's going to cancel the apocalypse out of Matt Damon's filmography, it's going to be Mark Watney. Yeah. He's going to get us science through it. Science the shit out of the apocalypse. He's going to science the shit out of it. No, it's going to be Jason Bourne would smack the shit. I know it's not the question, but he would smack the shit out of the apocalypse. What we're going to do is there's, there's an asteroid heading towards Earth and Jason Bourne has to roll up a giant magazine. <laughs> and then just have at it and just swat it aside. Swat it aside? Swat it aside. Yeah, swat it aside. Swat it aside. That's what you've got to do. Uh, so, yeah. Was, Not the bloke from yeah. We Bought a Zoo, basically. No. But, but no, the question, though, isn't who would we want to fight off the apocalypse because we're, we're now saying that the apocalypse is a given. Now we're, we're screwed, essentially. That's, am I right in understanding that? that is, oh, well, in that case, maybe it should be the angel deal? from Dogma. Oh, yeah, maybe him. Maybe him. Get you into a little shortcut into heaven there, you know? Yeah. Uh, I would like to spend time with the We, Bu- we Bought a Sue guy. He's quite soulful, and he has lots of animals, and you could, you could hug them as the asteroid or the plague overtakes you. Just remember, he's a real person as well, so I wish I hadn't picked that. <laughs> it's fine. We can spend time with both of them. It's fine. Okay. We're not exclusive here, Phil. It's all good. It's all a bit good. mean. Yeah. So there you go. Or the real Matt Damon, who, of course, has appeared as a character himself in, in some movies from time to time. What a lovely way. Just going hand in hand with Matt Damon as a giant wave consumes you both. That's a lovely thought. Yes, please. Front row here. Um, what films uh, coming up next year are you guys most looking forward to? Right. Well, I haven't written the 2017 preview yet, so I don't really remember what's coming out. What's coming out? Oh, Wonder Woman. I'm excited about that. Untitled Wolverine sequel. Uh, I, have, I have my reasons for being excited about that one, but I, I have more faith than you might expect given previous Wolverine outings. For reasons. Any, any films you weren't on set of? <laughs> I wasn't on set of the Untitled Wolverine sequel. Of course not. Of course not. Absolutely. Um, 
and uh, thank you for adhering to that embargo. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to be a raging cliche, but it's obviously Thor, Ragnarok, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, yes. Two. Um, I, I think Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, oh God, I'm such a cliche. But yes, Guardians Two. I think could be amazing. That could be. That could be Episode genuinely eight. brilliant. Uh, Taika Waititi made my favourite film so far this year: Hunt for the Wilder People. See me after. Uh, and <laughs> therefore, I'm kind of hoping that he'll manage the double and that Thor Ragnarok will yeah. rock next it, year. It's different, it's different for us because obviously we get a lot of, uh, you know, your Oscar-worthy movies uh, that open in the States in October, November, December means we can cheat because they usually tend to open in December here. So I can say La La Land, which I'm really looking forward to, and A Monster Calls, which I have seen and is absolutely amazing. Uh, so, yeah, those ones. Um, really looking forward to... Uh, uh, La La Land as well, which which sounds amazing. Going through the summer releases, I've got them up here on my amazing iPad. Uh, Baywatch is out in the summer. <laughs> yeah, there's interesting. a Fast and Furious movie, isn't there? There is a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Um, the Wonder Woman. Oh, there's a Berliner Philharmoniker live June concert in, uh, on June 9th. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Are you just reading things live? I am just reading things out. Kingsman, the Golden Circle. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I have my reasons. <laughs> I can't say why. Uh, Transformers 5, because Hitler's in it. <laughs> And we all want to see how that turns Hitler's out, wrong. don't we? It, yeah, it sounded like an endorsement, didn't it? You know, yeah, like, Hitler's in bit. it, and I love Hitler. Uh, I'm a bit of a Hitler completist, and I really want to see more Hitler. Um, and can I say the word Hitler more? Uh, Chris Nolan's Dunkirk. Mm. Uh, yeah, take that, Hitler. <laughs> uh, that you're was kidding, Mr. Hitler. Oh, yeah, that's the other way around. Yeah, that yeah. That was a no, famous defeat. Yeah, yeah no, that's a famous not defeat, but nevertheless. Nevertheless, because it's got Harry Styles from One Direction. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> what is our reaction? <laughs> Genuinely, Harry Styles in One Direction is in Dunkirk. Yeah, it's amazing. I know. I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> and I'm bet not as surprised as he was, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly going to be... Um, what's uh, our Star Wars movie next year? Is that episode uh, eight, Star Wars perhaps? Episode Eight. So that's quite exciting. That's I mean, exciting. Moderately so, at yeah. least, at the very least, right? Uh, Alien Covenant, that's not a Marvel movie. It's not, yeah, no. I, say that. I have crazy. my reasons for being excited about that as well. <laughs> um, Phil, were you on any sets recently? <laughs> you anything at all? Was that? Uh, were you on any sets of any movies? No. The Emoji Movie. <laughs> that sounds good. I want to go instead of that. That's a good one. Baby uh, Driver. Yeah. Baby Driver. I'm going to just say yes. Baby Driver. That's my fault for Untitled Disney, Disney Animation 2 has got me a buzz. <laughs> <laughs> That's in February. You'd think they'd have come up with a title by now. You're like, running out of time, guys. Is that Posters Ralph? are going to be generic. Is that Wreck-It Ralph too? possibly? Do you think so, in February? I yeah. think that's 2018. Oh, okay. Oh, thank, you. thank you very okay. much for keeping the mic. Can you come there we go. <laughs> and correcting us. Yeah, Baby uh, Driver. Baby Driver, I think, is going to be amazing. I, I know two separate film directors of some repute who say that they've seen it, and it's astonishing. And, um, yeah, if you don't know what Baby Driver is, it's Edgar Wright's next movie, and it is a kind of heist getaway movie, but it, it's apparently going to do some amazing things with the soundtrack. Um, actually taking place within the movie, songs will play within the movie, that sort of, that sort of stuff. So, uh, really, really good cast as well. So, looking forward to that. What about The Great Wall? Matt Damon. What about it? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming out. Yeah. Whether um, you like, like it or not. And I think I think the untitled Blade Runner sequel 
which I think they should keep it as the title. But um, Blade Runner 2 with, uh, with um, uh, what's his face? Baby Ar- Goose. Harrison thing, Harrison him. Mm. And uh, Ryan Gosling, yeah, Baby Goose. That's going to be uh, that's going to be hopefully brilliant. It's often those films though. Like this time of the year, we just don't they they're just not on our radar yet. They potentially sort of the ones that have not been shown at festivals yet. Yeah, the hunt sh- for the wilder people level. Yeah, the love of, and friendships. Yeah, I mean Victoria, for instance, is one of my favorite films this year. I don't think we were really aware of it at that point, and they come up, they sort of pop up at short notice and blow you away. Um, Tony Erd- Tony Erdman is a film that's got a lot of. Mm. Buzz from Cannes onwards, really. I'm quite looking forward to that earlier. That's going to be at the LFF as well. Is it? Okay, there you go. That's an answer to another question. That's another one. Uh, any other questions for us? Uh, yes, okay. Okay, if you could pass it back to Rose. There we go. This is sort of a two part question, but when you've been on a set, do you find it difficult to disassociate yourself with what you've seen when you're actually seeing it as a completed film up on screen? Mm-hmm. And the second part is, Chris, did you manage to get rid of the plate of gherkins last night after uh, serving everybody mini burgers at the Brooklyn Bowl? Yeah, I smeared them over the walls. Um, <laughs> so if you walk but just randomly, if you see a gherkin stuck to a wall, that's, that's me. Uh, I hate gherkins. If, uh, is gherkin a fruit? No. No? Because I fuck that. Oh. Fuck gherkins. Uh, that's what Fruit Ninja should be about, just people <laughs> gherkins. smashing gherkins. Fighting against gherkins. Yeah. Oh, I'm in a pickle. In terms of dissociating yourself from stuff you've seen on set um, as my family knows because some of them's up there hello family uh, I tend to nudge whoever I'm with and go I was on set for this bit <laughs> the first time I see any film that I, I've been on actually not the first every time I see a film I've been on set of um, but apart from that I, I can usually be honest like I was on set of X-Men Origins Wolverine and, and that was terrible in the end but it was a lovely day out do you get a know? sense do you get a sense sometimes you know I, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast before but I was on set of uh, Harold Ramis's year one and it's an awful film obviously sadly you know sadly it was his last movie but I was watching a scene with uh, Jack Black and Michael Sarah, and they were improvising their little hearts out and I was just watching this comedic legend in front of me going, mm, this is great. And Judd Apatow was in set the same day. And they were just going, yeah, this is awesome. And it was awful. And I just, you just want to kind of go, um, um, I, have, I have notes. <laughs> but I probably shouldn't say anything. Okay, there you go. Uh, I only ended up writing a small piece on that. But for the most part, yeah, I think um, you tend to want the film that you're in set of. Because, by and large, now we're at the stages of our careers where we can go and set some movies that we feel warmly towards or, you know, we have connections with maybe some filmmakers who invite us on sets or whatever. But back in the old, you know, when you're starting off your career, you, you can go on all sorts of interesting, terrible, <laughs> terrible films. Um, and you don't always come out of those thinking that they're going to be great. You do come away with a surprisingly good sense of how good it's going to be, actually. Mm. Uh, there have been a couple I was on where I, was, I came away saying, it's going to look amazing, but I don't know about the story. Maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there are things like that. You, you get Bless a sense you. when you're there. Thank you, thank you. Little, little cough. Yeah, she's such a problem. Uh, okay, anything else? Uh, any other questions? We've got a couple of time for a little... Yellow. Whoa! <laughs> Where's that? Hi, Up here. there. Hello. Okay. Hi. So you might have noticed there was a pretty crappy summer for movies. Uh, I noticed. Uh, so... <laughs> what we did too. Was 
the worst movie you've seen this summer? Suicide Squad. Mm, if we're, st I mean, it <laughs> ooh, that was popular. It depends when we start the summer season. If we start it in, say, March, <coughs> then it would be Batman v Superman: Colon Dawn of Justice for me. I, I, I have rarely been angrier at a film. Worse than Suicide Squad? Yeah, yeah. Worse than X Men Apocalypse? Huh. Interesting. That was oh, that was controversial. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm with Phil in this. I think the first hour of Suicide Squad is one star bad and then it actually kind of picks up um, and becomes two star bad for the rest of it but um, yeah I didn't like that film at all but probably The Legend of Tarzan for me I really didn't like that film at all and I can see from the whoops and roars of approval that you're on the same page as I am with that one but yeah Suicide Squad anything else we've got time for a couple more what's your favourite um, actor or actress that you've interviewed for Empire over the years and why I'll be honest they all turn on the charm when they talk to journalists, generally speaking. And they're super charming already. So it tend, they all tend to be pretty nice. So, I mean, people who are famously nice include Hugh Jackman, Daniel Radcliffe, Dwayne Johnson. Tommy Lee Jones. Tom, uh, <laughs> wait, no, no, no. Remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've never met him. We've just heard bad things. We've just heard bad things. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones... Don't even know this story. Uh, when he was shooting Batman Forever with Jim Carrey, who is, I don't know if you noticed, is a bit wacky. Um, they they <laughs> they met at a restaurant. Jim Carrey told the story, I think, on Howard Stern's show, and they were at a restaurant. And uh, Howard, uh, Jim Carrey was being a bit Jim Carrey-ish, and Tommy Lee Jones stood up and went over to him and said, "I cannot sanction your buffoonery," <laughs> and walked off. Which is the best thing anyone's ever said to anybody, I think. I cannot sanction your buffoonery. I think he's also reviewed this podcast on iTunes. I think he's, he's left us a two-star. Please don't feel obliged to follow that example. Thank you so much. Um, nice people, nice people. Nice people. Peg. Peg, Peg. Peg is lovely. Sam. Kate Beckinsale, right? Kate Beckinsale's great. Um, Michael Caine. For, obviously, he's a legend. I've always kind of loved Michael Caine since I was a kid. And I got to interview him, one of those like short on-camera things. And it was in the same hotel. They had a junket for Entourage, I think the TV show, not the movie, at the same time that he was doing his thing. And you get a bit of, like, dead time to just to chat whilst you wait for your tapes to be given to you. And I just said, you know, there's another junket here today um, for Entourage. And he goes, oh, yeah, what's that? And I went, it's the show, you know, with the actors and they, a lot of models and stuff. And he goes, oh, yes. That reminds me of when I was young. <laughs> and I was just like, that's perfect. I've got a Michael Caine moment forever. Um, so that was cool. But yeah, I think most people are pretty charming. Yeah, y yeah on the whole. I think of anyone... On the whole, no real monsters. Uh, come and talk to us afterwards for off-the-record stories of the real monsters. That's going to be a lot of fun. But actually, no, genuinely speaking, I haven't really had that many bad experiences. Um, yeah. It's generally been pretty nice. Yeah. But I mean... I'm. You might get a very different answer if you talk to certain PRs who have worked with these people behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and on that bombshell, uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. It is time for us to say goodbye. Uh, thank you so much for coming, of course. Thank you to American Airlines, the headline sponsor of uh, Empire Live. Thanks to our amazing guests, Mike Coulter and Tom Bennett. Um, join us next week for more film-related fun. Uh, we're not only going to have a special podcast next week. We've got the uh, Daniel Radcliffe interview special to look out for that one but on the regular podcast which is out next Friday we have 
Sir Timothy of Burton, which is going to be a lot of fun as well. Uh, so do tune in for that if you don't already. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Goodbye. Yeah, damn right. Uh, thank you, thank you. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's uh, goodbye from me. I'm off to finish my family-friendly cut of Jessica Jones with all the swearing, violence, and sexy, rumpy-pumpy stuff taken out. It's 13 minutes long. Uh, until next time, thank you so much for coming. I always say this, but it really means a lot to see you guys here in such great numbers for us. It really makes us feel special. So thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. Bye. Bye.